Oh my gosh. I I sent in a clip to do that one time. There was some kind of a contest. <laughs> to be the new pop and fresh. <laughs> to be the pop and fresh. You would or be whatever. a great pop and fresh. I think so. Yeah. Well, do you know what it, you sounded like? Maybe you, did, maybe you had a take on it. You know, like, <laughs> you're like, oh, well. Instead of, she went, Ooh-hoo. I mean, you are being put in an oven. What are you so cheery about? Nonsense and shenanigans, tomfoolery. <laughs> that's that's literally oh, yeah. all I have time for. That's literally that describes John perfectly. Yeah, all I have time for is John foolery. I have to get back to the tomfoolery and nonsense. So let's get this show on the road. You know, John foolery <laughs> would be a good name for a podcast for you if you ever wanted a third podcast. Good. I think so. Yeah, I do need more podcasts. Hey, <laughs> welcome back to another episode of 1980s Now, a weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its influence. Today, hey, my name is Will, and joining me as always are my friends and co-hosts, Kat and John. Hey, guys. Hi, guys. Hey, and don't forget to listen to John on his other podcast. Uh, his That is his first podcast. This is his second. We're working on a third, which is uh, going to be called- John Foolery. Uh, John Foolery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John yeah. Foolery. Not Tom Foolery. John Foolery. Uh, I like it. John Foolery. Yes. And before those exist, listen to his other podcast, Gen <laughs> X Grown Up. Hey, on today's show, we're going to be talking about the importance of good mm. casting by reviewing some of the roles that actors- other than those ultimately cast, Mm -hmm. nearly had, and roles from which the original Mm -hmm. actor was fired. Mm. And uh, talk about, uh, you know, whether that made or break the show and had it gone another way, what that would have meant. I was afraid you were going to say, we're going to check and see who should be hosting this podcast. I'm going to tell you- going to be some recasting. (laughs) Tell you the people. John, Will Ferrell. Yes. We'll play Will Ferrell's audition tape for 1980s now. Stand by. And the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man for me. <laughs> what? Or no. Wrong. Stay no. Puffed? What are you talking the about? The Stay Puff <laughs> Man goes, whoa. Poppin' the, the Different Marshmallow yes. Man. What, what were we talking poppin about fresh. before? The little hoo-hoo. The Pillsbury Doughboy. Pillsbury Doughboy. Yeah, we'll play your audition reel too. Hey, before any of that, though, we're going to review current news stories related to 1980s media, including trying to stay awake during Night Court, uh, how the hardest scene in Top Gun Maverick didn't feature any jets, Harrison Ford's review of The Dial of Destiny, how the Evil Dead Rise trailer feels uh, evil to me, and how an iconic actor returned to Willow. Or did he? (laughs) Time codes are in the show notes if you'd like to skip a round. Hey, uh, quick announcement before we get going here. Just like last week, you know, we, we were continuing this trend of dropping interviews on a different day. Last week, you got to hear our interview with uh, synthwave artist Dream Kid. And this week, you're going to hear our interview with Joel Thurm. Who, you say? Mm-hmm. Now, look, in our, in our <laughs> as a layperson, as an enjoyer, as a consumer of... <laughs> As a consumer of media, we don't necessarily know all that happens behind the scenes. And I, look, I, I'm proud to be a person like in the 80s, watched all those behind the scenes and making of documentaries ah. that began in, in that decade. Mm-hmm. But even I hadn't heard of Joel. And that's unfortunate because truly he is one of the most admired and accomplished casting directors and played a key role in mm-hmm. pivotal casting decisions that affected our youths. Wow. Uh, sure. Including right. uh, being at NBC during its, you know, avoid 
must avoid television to its uh, must see TV by the end of the decade. He was there throughout that helping cast to cheers, the Cosby show, Hill street blues Mm -hmm. and on and on and on. Uh, And he also cast enduringly popular movies, grease airplane Mm -hmm. and the Rocky horror picture show among others. Wow. I enjoyed my conversation with him talking about uh, how he scarred me for life when he suggested that uh, they make the TV movie, uh, the boy in the plastic bubble uh, in which he cast John Travolta. That yes. movie, that TV movie haunted me as a kid. Oh. Can you guys remember that one? I do remember. I remember I it well. Remember it. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, yeah. Me, but I remember it for, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't know if haunts the word, but I remember feeling, um, uh, it, it, it provoked anxiety yeah. <laughs> watching mm-hmm. it. I, I remember feeling uh, claustrophobia. Yeah. Mm, mm, yeah. Well, I, had, I had that very human reaction, like, can this happen to me? You know, uh-huh, you were, were all uh-huh. of- we were yeah, under like, 10 yeah. years old when it came out. I, I don't remember. It was in the late 70s, yeah. I believe. Well, and then there'd be a movie about you, which is pretty cool. <laughs> the Boy in the Plastic Bubble 2. The boy who got the Boy in the Plastic Bubble disease by watching The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. <laughs> who would have been cast? It's Will. We're going to put Will in. That's the whole point. That's why he got the disease, yeah. so he could be in the bubble. I play myself, yeah. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It'd be a documentary. Be uh, anyway, Joel, Joel's got a new book uh, called Sex, Drugs, and Pilot Season, Confessions of a Casting Director. And it is it is exactly that. Like the title of it is exactly oh. the content of the book. 100% truth in advertising, all those types of stories he tells oh. uh, that he dishes on. And again, many of them are about how our favorite shows and movies in the, in the 1980s got cast. So listen wow. for that. All yeah. right. So, oh, so, and, and the point being that that conversation inspired this uh, week's topic. All right. So, right. hey, <laughs> speaking of topics or whatever, just speaking, having words coming out of my mouth, here are more words. <laughs> Let's get caught up on 1980s news. Wow. This week's show is heavy. <laughs> Look at all that paper. <laughs> if only there was some kind of uh, ratio of listeners to weight of the script. You know, some kind of ratio. <laughs> I think it might be both inverse and exponential, however, so. Oh, no. Why do you keep saying things are heavy? Oh, wait, there must be something wrong with the Earth's gravitational pull in the future. Oh, nice. Nicely done. Nicely done. Mm. Hey, uh, in uh, this week in 1980s news, per IndieWire, new Night Court keeps it old school in NBC's So-So reboot. Have you guys been watching or have you checked out at least an episode of uh, Night Court, the new Night Court? Yeah, I checked out a couple of episodes. For yep. folks who don't know, and if you listen to this show, I'm sure you were a fan of the original. It, uh, Night Court ran from uh, on NBC for nine seasons between 1984 and mm-hmm. 1992, a time that Joel Thurm was there casting shows. Yeah. Anyway, it was a sitcom mm-hmm. that reveled in the rotating cast of uh, quirky characters that seemed only to exist in the after sundown in a Manhattan courtroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was mm-hmm. created by Reinhold Weege. Uh, the the show was it won seven, see seven Emmys. The fictional municipal court at that time was presided over by Judge Harry Stone, played by the late uh, Harry Anderson. You know, I think we were mm-hmm. all probably fans of Harry Anderson and his magic on yep. various ta- late night talk shows before he even became Judge Stone. Hmm. Um, and Saturday Night Live. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, he had a very you know a great demeanor. But the ability mm-hmm. to dole out justice, which either meant, uh, you know, letting someone go because he had believed that they had been wrongfully accused mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, giving out a harsher set, uh, harf, harsher sentence. I don't know how harsh David. Take <laughs> <laughs> the death penalty! <laughs> <laughs> On a very special night board. It was just, uh, it, it was atypical judging and sentencing, right? He's just kind of... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess they call it the outside the box kind of judge, right? Doing yeah. creative yes. things and... You try to see the good in people. 
you know, yeah, regardless yeah. of what they brought right. in. And that's mm-hmm. something I noticed mm-hmm. in the new series too. Yeah. 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 And, and at the time, Harry, uh, he would, uh, you know, he, he gets his opposition or his, and his help, uh, depending on a particular episode where the, 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 the various defense attorneys they had most, I think the longest running one was the one played by Marky Post. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, um, the uh, steadfast prosecutor Dan Fielding, played by a John mm-hmm. Larroquette. Mm-hmm. So now you've got this new show, which was developed by Dan Rubin, which is really season ten of Night Court because it's just a continuation of the original show. It's got the same is, name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And mm-hmm. uh, although they've got a cast of new characters, the uh, mm-hmm. the the now leader of the the now judge uh, gaveling in over the court is played by Michelle Rausch, who's also an executive producer and brought this show to the, you know, the network and said, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's playing judge Abby Stone, the daughter to Harry. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, uh, she brings back Dan Fielding in the first episode. She talks him uh, into coming back, not this time as a prosecutor, but instead twist (laughs) the big twist. (laughs) Yes. He's going to be the state appointed defense. Hey, mm-hmm. just temporarily. It's yeah. just temporary. Is that just right? Temporary. Is that what she said? That's, that's what, what he, he says. Said. Oh, that's what he keeps Non-stop. saying. Nonstop. Okay, right. He never, I, I, I assume that will be a running gag when the show is canceled in three episodes. Probably. The show was just temporary. <laughs> no. That's what Lara Kett was talking about. <laughs> right, maybe that's what he meant. It's, like, it's a meta commentary. <laughs> so what are you guys' thoughts about the show? I can't say that I'm, I'm not like avidly keeping up with it like I have with some uh, mm-hmm. other series, <laughs> other things mm-hmm. to watch, but I enjoyed it. It was, you know, a nice little thing to enjoy while eating dinner if I was all by myself and yep. I laughed. So yeah, it was cool. I found it to be just what you said. Well, it's season 10 of Night Court. <laughs> yep. it, it feels everything. Not everything. Most things about it feel decidedly like the 80s. Mm, it feels mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the blocking, the pacing, the, the scripting, the, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, having Harry Stone's daughter in there is a nice connection, but kind of unnecessary after the pilot, I think. Right. Didn't you know, need it, to be. Yeah. No, yeah. Have yeah to I, mean, I get okay, why you yeah. would do that. Uh, you know, the, the swerve where you're making fielding be the, uh, the defense attorney, I think was, Mm-hmm, uh, it was mm-hmm. really good. And in fact, they had done a lot. We talked when Night Court was announced and we were speculating, mm-hmm. right? How do you bring Dan Fielding, this womanizing people hater into right. modern times? Right. Yeah. And they wrote this little yeah. backstory that in the intervening time, he has yeah. this line about how he, you know, he, he loved and he lost big time or something and right. basically never opened his heart again. So whatever it is, mm-hmm. he's like done with relationships, he feels. So he's no longer chasing people. He's very shut down, almost a hermit when you meet him. Yeah, so yeah. He's a, yeah. He's a different guy, just as bitter, but a little more tempered, I think, with uh, other mm-hmm. life experience. You know, John, the thing about, you know, you mentioned the thing about how it, uh, what it feels like the 80s or seems like the 80s, the same blocking style, pacing, all that. Mm-hmm. You know, on paper, I would think, wow, that sounds so great because we've talked so often about how like Quantum Leap to me feels like an older show. But I think for mm. for Quantum Leap, they've changed enough and, you know, made it, brought it enough forward or parts of it forward that to me sort of strikes a good balance. I would never have imagined that I'd see a show that didn't achieve that balance and lean too far to nostalgia, let's say, that I wouldn't like. And uh-huh. I, I do enjoy it. It seems like it gets funnier as the episodes go on. There's some jokes that I cracked up out loud, which rarely happens when I'm watching mm-hmm. TV these days. But uh-huh. um, I don't know. It almost, <laughs> I, I regret, you know, the thing I like least about it is how 
stuck in that time, it seems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you wanted it to be a little more now. Some, I didn't know that intellectually, other. but having watched it, yeah. if yeah, I have any yeah. gripe with it, that's what it is. It's like, wow, this show could have been in the 80s. It, ah. It's too convincing. In the original huh? Night Court that ran in the 80s, yeah. they were... In later seasons, at least, they tried pretty hard to kind of be edgy and mm-hmm. touch sure. on some sensitive topics that were in the, you know, the zeitgeist of the 80s and what people were facing and that kind of a thing. And when they do that in this series, it just feels like they're not doing anything edgy in this series. It just feels just as edgy as the as the season nine was. Mm-hmm. There's no ratchet up for modern sensibilities. So mm. while it's the same tone as mm-hmm. the original series, mm-hmm. because it didn't ratchet anything up, it feels a little flat, I think, because it didn't evolve like Quantum mm. Leap did to your point. Yeah, right. Mm. You right, can edit right, that right. down to my actual point if you can find it. <laughs> <laughs> well said. I think you actually, even though you joked there, yeah, that's what it is. You're right. It, Quantum Leap's a good analogy too, mm-hmm. because as we know, they mm-hmm. hit on more contemporary issues than this show is mm-hmm. sort of daring to touch. You're right. It's not, a, it's not any more edgy than it was in that when it was original, yeah. original right. show. You're right. That's a good way of putting yes. it. So you want it to be, I just, this is interesting. So you want it to be more edgy and, but it's just sort of a little goofy short comedy thing. Yeah. Right. I don't know that I yeah. want it to be edgy. It's okay. just, it sticks out right. like a sore thumb that it's, okay. it's literally, it released the pause button from huh. the yeah, last yeah. episode yeah. we saw with Harry Stone uh-huh. With very little changed. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if that's mm-hmm. what you want, I didn't say I didn't enjoy it. I am enjoying it. Okay. I think yeah, it's yeah, yeah. it's cute. But yeah, you're not yeah. gonna leave it and yeah. go, hmm, that's a ponderous episode. It was like, <laughs> yeah. it's popcorn. You know, you eat it and forget about it. Yes. If if people are gonna watch it, it's for that, for that quality, because it's not I, I agree. it's not heavy. Yeah. 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 yeah I don't want to see yeah. an episode about the Dobbs decision in, in Night Court. I'm not looking for that, <laughs> but you know, to your point, John, you made, you made me think even, I wonder if John, you know, John Larroquette's character, uh, if in the eighties, when the show originally aired, he was more of a, it was more unique, uh, that, that, that type of character that would be it's yeah. so yeah. over the top and, you know, opposed to our, there wasn't a whole lot of them. Now they're sort of dime a dozen these. They're plenty. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hmm. He's so funny. He's great. <laughs> he's got great lines in this. Yeah, yeah he's the, he's the <laughs> best thing about the show, I think. Nothing yeah, sort of yeah. against the others, but. Yeah, he's no, the no. very reason that I've said over and over, I love when you take something that we saw in the 70s or 80s and yeah. wait and do a sequel 20 or 30 years later when the yeah. actor is aged and see mm-hmm. how that character has aged. I think that's yeah. very interesting. Right. Absolutely. Every time I've yeah. seen that in anything and here he is the best part of the show because you got to know him so well in the mm-hmm. original series and now he is an evolved person. That's That's quite interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. I love the security guard too, though. She, <laughs> mm-hmm. she, uh, yeah, she has she, my attention. Too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Hey, in other 1980s news, and as told to Variety and reported by Cinema Blend, this is just like a, you know, nesting doll of the news reporting. <laughs> Top Gun Maverick <laughs> changed the movie's romance halfway through filming. Whoa. We've talked about this many times. It was the smash block, blockbuster hit of 2022. Can't mm-hmm. think of a bigger mm-hmm. film. Uh, mm-hmm. And now, most recently, it's hit no. another plateau, uh, earning a Best Picture nomination at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. There, mm-hmm. There's has to have been other action-type films nominated for Best Picture, right? And Lord of the Rings, I don't know if that's fantasy. I guess that would qualify. I think those are nominated. It does yeah. seem novel that you'd have a film like this nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Often those blockbuster-type films don't get the nod because they're not artsy enough or there's right. not enough yes. redeeming something in there for the Academy, but... Right. Sometimes you just got to go with the popular opinion and everybody just seemed to universally love this film. So I'm glad yeah. I got a nomination. 
Mm-hmm. Well, in, in contrast with Night Court that we were just talking about, Maverick, which was a worthy, if not, I think it was honestly a superior successor to the original 1986 film. Mm-hmm. But unlike Night Court, it smartly included all the tropes uh, uh, that mm-hmm. made that first film and those of its era work yeah. without making them seem outdated. Mm-hmm. I remember being watching it and constantly saying to my wife, this seems, feels so 1980s, but that never <laughs> bugged me about it. Yeah. Ah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if the tropes were necessarily evolved or the characters were more edgy or anything. It was very similar. The archetypes are very similar to the original film. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the, the, the technology's newer, but mm-hmm. I don't know. There was something about it that worked for me there that not, did not work for me for Night Court. Um, <laughs> maybe those are unfair to compare those two things. They're just I was going to say, they're so different. <laughs> they're apples and fighter jets. <laughs> um, but anyway, important among those many plot devices for me that, uh, again, that, that worked, that were sort of borrowing from the earlier era was the central romance between Tom Cruise and mm-hmm. Jennifer Connelly's characters. Mm-hmm. Well, right. now, uh, director Joseph Kaczynski, who once shared to us, shared with us how they put people in a cage and submerged them in a pool and flipped them upside down, and if you could get mm. out alive, you were in mm. the movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> Talking about casting. Jeez. <laughs> we, we've now learned from the director. Yeah, Madonna's casting. audition process? 11 hours, I'd do that any day. <laughs> Hold my breath for how long? As long as you can. <laughs> and now you got to wrestle Tom Cruise to the ground. You want the part? <laughs> Why is he naked? <laughs> anyway, we've, now we've learned that the character's uh, relationship changed throughout filming to better mm-hmm. suit the story Kaczynski was going for. So uh, the director revealed that Cruz and Connolly's relationships approached much differently as written in the original script, saying, quote, mm-hmm. well, originally Penny and Maverick had not seen each other since 1985. So you ended up with him seeing a character that he hadn't seen since he was 18 or 19 years old. And after mm-hmm. shooting it that way and putting the film together, there was too far for that relationship to go from yeah. not yeah. having seen someone in 36 that. years to where we mm-hmm. wanted to get to the end of the film. Mm-hmm. So ultimately they wound up tweaking the script script, and it's not clear whether or not they had to then reshoot things. It seems, well, right. Let me, cause he said, uh, you know, he said that after shooting it is when they started realizing that maybe it, it didn't work. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, obviously they recognized it early enough that they could make the changes necessary. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Maybe it yeah. wasn't too big of a pivot. Yeah. Yeah. And among those changes, he, he revealed how as a result of them wanting to do that, accomplish that, the scene where they first see each other again in the bar, in the bar that she owns, yeah. her character owns, mm-hmm. yeah, he says was as challenging to film as those high-flying stunts uh, that they shot. <laughs> and, it came, ah. and it came down wow. to very technical aspects, but you know, being having to think <laughs> constantly that we're, we needed to shoot this from the POV of Maverick, he's coming into uh-huh. the bar. And if you remember, we're sort of, it's sort of exposition in the sense that we're seeing all these characters be established for the first time, including many of the young fighter pilots. Yes. But mm-hmm. keep yeah. having to return to the fact that we're Maverick in this, you know? And so uh-huh. he said establishing uh-huh. eye lines and how to cut and what the coverage would be was, was pretty tricky. That's very director speak to say that like, oh, this was a much more technically difficult scene to do. Well, for you, the director, <laughs> not for everyone else. Everyone else actors oh, yeah. who are being put through hell. Oh, I for see. them, yeah. that right. was Good much point. easier, right? Right. right. But from a creating a cohesive storytelling device, mm-hmm. I get why it was very complicated and difficult. Well, yeah. 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 Not for Tom. Yeah. Tom yeah. just sat on the stool and talked. Right. Yeah. It was easy for him. Not as difficult yeah. as being in the jet, I'm sure. Well, you, you remind me, yeah. Joe, when were you in the cage upside down in the pool? Right. <laughs> I don't remember seeing you there. 
Yeah, you got to train for the bar scene. Yeah, right. <laughs> what did you guys think about the the romance or the chemistry between those two actors and or the characters that work? I really liked it. Yeah, yeah. I re- I specifically remember enjoying the mm-hmm. the romantic piece in the movie. It was fun and it was playful and yeah. Yeah. And he's climbing like out the so window at one point. Get back you know? to fighter pilots. Blah blah love. Blah blah blah. <laughs> Get back to jets. Yeah. <laughs> when are they going to time travel? That sounds like Come something on. that'll be on John Foolery. He'll talk about John Foolery. That. John Foolery's Maverick review. Blah blah blah. blah, blah. blah. <laughs> yeah, I would love if John during his reviews of movies. He just says blah 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 when he's reviewing the part of the film he didn't like. You don't even have to tell us what it is. You're just like, and then there was a scene where they, where the, the, the jetter, the fighter jets went down in this canyon. And then after they returned, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's like my yada, yada, yada. Is that what that's going to be? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Did you just yada, yada sex? Oh. Yes. <laughs> did you just blah, blah, the love scene? I did. Mm-hmm. I did. I thought it worked for me too. And I mean, part of it, right, is look, just to be too, completely superficial and shallow, part of it is like, I think, and Kat, you're, you're the woman on the show, so maybe, and, and John, well, John, you're you're not me. You're, you're both not me. So gender doesn't have anything to do with it, actually. <laughs> I was going to say this may be a male thing. That's very because, insightful, Will, that you've noticed that neither of us are you. I would guess this is a male thing because male, men are trying to be more visual in finding mates, you know, where women look okay. to, for more meaningful mm-hmm. things like, uh, okay, you know, connection and uh, security and <laughs> safety and all that. Um, uh-huh. But- I think part of me buying into a romance is how attracted I am to the partner. So, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm, I'm in Maverick shoes. Do I think Jennifer oh, Conley is right? Right. You know, and yeah. I, I think she's great, you know, in all the, mm-hmm. in all the mm-hmm. films I've seen, I don't know personally. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's why it worked for you. Cause she was I think, cute. I think that's part of it. I think that's gotta be first part of it, you know, acting, uh-huh. directing, editing. How cute are you? Yeah, well, see that's nice. That make the bar scene so easy. If only they'd known. This sounds terribly sexist. Now. That, that says horrible. a lot for us, though, John. I guess we're cute. Okay, now hang on a second. Hey, relax. I realize you guys are not will. You guys are Take blown. Comfort. Does this not play any part in your sort of? No, I, I, um, hmm. okay. Let me think about this. Hmm, I try to think of a movie. I that don't we know you think like. so. Okay. I don't think it matters to me. I got an what? example what? for you. Okay. Pretty in Pink. Did you want her to go with Ducky or with Blaine? Oh man! I mean, oh, I'm doesn't to part of it come down to who then. you were more attracted to? <sighs> so, in a sense, that's kind of a similar. I see thing. what you mean. I don't remember wanting her to go with one over the other because um, mm-hmm. I could see both. Like I, I could, I <laughs> whichever one. Kat, I found it's a way not to make be it controversial if you pick one now. The movie's forty years old. I'm serious. Okay, never mind. You guys, you guys, you, know did, how you didn't be like whatever you do, don't go with that one. There wasn't like one that you no. didn't want right, her to look, be with. Okay. No, no, no. Whatever no, makes no. you happy. Okay. I'm a shallow monster. Yeah. That's what we've learned here today. I, mean, I, think, I think that's the only thing that we could know. Is that a monster that's only in one end of the pool? Yes. Oh, so okay. look, and, and part of it is like, look, oh, now you know what? I'm not even going to continue with this line of discussion because I realize I'm about Uh-oh. to make my sound self sound like more of a horrible human being. No, uh, but if you recall, speaking about we recasting, hear and then cut it out. What? <laughs> go full Monty with it. Just go. Well, what I was going to say is, Come if you recall on. in the first film, and again talking about recasting, which is our topic this week, is uh, uh-huh. Ma- Maverick's love interest in the original film was astrophysicist and uh, training school instructor. Charlie Blackwood played by Kelly McGillis. Mm-hmm. True. Mm-hmm. I I personally felt no attraction to Kelly McGillis. Okay. So, mm. All right. But 
Interesting. So you were not into that romance. Mm. I wasn't. Is that right? You know what? Maybe it's not so much whether I'm attracted to them as whether I'm buying the mm. on-screen chemistry of the pair. Yeah, give yourself I, a little more I credit. also didn't yeah. buy that yeah. either. Mm-hmm. I'd have to rewatch yeah. that. I haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah. I, do, I did feel that there was chemistry in Maverick between okay. the two of them. That was part of what okay. I liked about it. Yeah. There was a, yeah, like a, a, a playfulness going on there that was- But you don't uh, remember whether you thought alluring. that about the first one though. I, I don't yeah. think I perceived that as chemistry, uh, you yeah. know, as any kind of magnetism- I was, of course, at a different point in life then, but I look back on it now mm-hmm. and I, I don't, I, I have no memory of feeling like, ooh, they were yeah. really good together. I uh, I don't remember feeling like that at all. I'm reminded that in Karate Kid, you know, the original Karate mm-hmm. Kid, mm-hmm. I think Elizabeth Shue is adorable, but I never yeah. bought them as a couple. It was mm-hmm. fine. So maybe it's okay. not. It's, but it's, it's because Daniel LaRusso is such a little punk. That's why. <laughs> yes. A cheater, and a like, cheater too. You couldn't get that girl. I don't care how good you can oh. wax on, wax off. Seriously, you are Mostly not getting waxing her. off. Yes, because he oh. couldn't get her. <laughs> I didn't say it. He, he I just made, said made it. it to you know what you were doing, though, John. <laughs> I know you're that clever. very right, self-aware. So, hey, but why wasn't Kelly McGillis in the in Maverick? Because he was she he mm-hmm. was the original, or she was the uh, love interest in the prior film. In 2019, right. Entertainment Tonight asked McGillis if she'd been asked to appear in the sequel, and she said, "Quote." Oh my God, no, they did not, nor do I think they would ever. She replied oh. almost laughing at the idea, continuing, I mean, huh. I'm old and I'm fat and I look age appropriate for what my age is, and that is not what the whole scene <laughs> okay. is about, end quote. Wow, <sighs> Kelly. I mean, there is that Hollywood hmm. thing, right? Yeah. Hmm. There is, yeah. The good yeah. news is she didn't seem to be upset about, uh, well, good. by her, her very realistic explanation, saying, quote, I'd much rather feel absolutely absolutely secure in my skin and who mm-hmm. and what I am at my age. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 64-year-old mm-hmm. actress left Hollywood to get sober and focus on raising her family. Regarding mm-hmm. whether she would see the sequel, she said, quote, I guess it depends on what kind of reviews it gets. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess maybe she saw it. <laughs> That's my guess. You know, speaking of actresses, I will say Kelly McGillis is kind of tough, is rough on herself there, really, because- mm. The best example that I have is Jamie Lee Curtis. Okay. Mm-hmm. Incredibly mm-hmm. attractive actress when she was mm-hmm. young. Mm-hmm. She now looks age appropriate. Yeah. And because of her attitude and the way she presents uh-huh. herself, uh-huh. she's still incredibly attractive to me. She's still on my list. FYI. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. We, we happen to run into her. Your but, list? <laughs> honey, remember? <laughs> but but I, I think if you have resigned to the fact that, yeah. oh, I, I, I can no longer get roles, I think, you know, I think if what Jamie Lee Gerda, Jamie Lee Curtis just had a headshot and you didn't know her personality and how she mm-hmm. could act and whatever, mm-hmm. she might not be getting the roles she's getting today. But mm-hmm. she's still an amazing actress getting, and she's a love interest in some cases still. Mm-hmm. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. maybe McGill is just selling herself short a bit. And I, yeah, <laughs> I well, can't disagree with that. And I guess however yeah. it went, she's satisfied with, you know, how things are. So. Yep, yep, yep. Hey, in other 1980s news, Harrison Ford has given us an early review of Indy's final adventure. We've been waiting for this, right? Because it's going to save time for Marcus in the future. (laughs) When we try to pin him down. Now, that's right. It depends if if if, if this uh, upcoming film is good or bad or not. Whether or not we're going to care what Harrison Ford said. Because a few episodes we were trying to determine how whether or not the next film will be good. Mm -hmm. If we could Mm -hmm. figure out that based on any comments. Harrison Ford had right. made about prior films, mm-hmm. in particular the Crystal right. Skull, which uh-huh. I'm not a fan of, and and we really we know <laughs> didn't. I think we ultimately gave it to Marcus, but who tried to find a clip of of Harrison Ford praising the film? Mm-hmm. I think ultimately we didn't really have any 
definitive. Was, yeah. Right, I think right. everyone we found was pretty good, but each one of them had a little asterisk. It was just he was kind of praising it. He also could have been saying this, yeah. you know, but yeah. Yeah. He's like, it's the best film I saw today. <laughs> Did you see any other? Uh, interview's over. Of all the Indiana Jones films, this is the fourth one. <laughs> While interviewing Harrison Ford in connection with the release of his role in on the Yellowstone prequel show, 1923. Uh-huh. I haven't watched Yellowstone mm-hmm. in 1923. I heard they're really good. I've never seen either. I haven't ones. seen either. The host of Jake's Takes, Jake mm-hmm. Hamilton, mm-hmm. asked Ford about uh, playing Indiana Jones for one final time in the upcoming final installment in the film franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hamilton asked Ford whether there was any part of him that would, quote, miss the character, end quote. Mm-hmm. After Ford stammers a bit, he says, quote, I'm not built that way. And he, he, right. he, he stammers right. throughout this whole thing, but I, I took out all the uh and ums. I totally thought about John. Well, he was John's impression of him while he was talking. This is spot on. I'm not built that way. I'm very happy to have had the opportunity to play him, especially happy that we've, and now while he says this part, he makes a circle in the air with his finger. He says, I'm very happy that mm-hmm. we've, Closed the circle on him. Oh, did mm-hmm. he make a circle? I didn't notice. He did. Oh. Yeah. And we see the character in a oh, different I'm not doing it. light. We have to do it at the same time. Sorry, we're all doing. Yeah, it. Let's all let's all make a loophole. I'm falling. This, this will be now. the thumbnail. I'm Perfect. Asleep. <laughs> okay. You like our show? You subscribe, <laughs> rate, and review. Uh, he says we see the character in a different light and in, in and in different circumstances that we might expect. And I like the. I'm very happy with the film we've made. <laughs> See, the, he, he paused. He was like, uh, but he, anyway, you should look up this interview to see if you, if you believe he's being sincere, because uh, I think generally folks that uh, know what they want to know something and, and are going to say a true statement that they know comes out a lot more easily. Yeah. <laughs> comes out quicker and with right. more enthusiasm. He really, he nailed it with that enthusiastic yeah. lethargy, didn't he? <laughs> So I think if the film turns out to be crap, we're still not going to be able to point to this and say, well, he said it was good. Right. Or vice versa. But I get more, I'm more intrigued by that circle. Yeah. Is he, is he hinting at time travel when he says things are going to come full circle and mm-hmm. that we're going to see uh, him in a different light and different circumstances than we, we might expect. Stop. You're hypnotizing me. John's not stopping with his finger here. At this point is, yeah. I think we'd be surprised if there's not time travel in this movie at this point. Yeah. Wouldn't right. we? Yeah. Yes. I yes. Would be. I would. Yes. I'd be true. surprised yeah. at this point. There's mm-hmm. so many little hints. Yeah. Why would you make a sundial the thing? It yeah. represents time. Come mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. It could mm-hmm. be any MacGuffin and it's got to be that. So. MacGuffin. <laughs> That's such a funny term. <laughs> it was just cat waited, just like a pause. MacGuffin. And then, and then the show continues. All right, hey, another 1980s news. As reported by Screen Rant and others, there's a full trailer. The full trailer for Evil Dead Rise was released. Ugh. Yeah, that's what I say, too. Did you watch it? Yes. Yeah. I almost waited, like, oh, that would be kind of fun to do a reaction video. I, I, I was eating a bowl of cereal. Oh, no. And, and I was, I had to block my view of the video with this oh. bowl. It was. Well, you oh. could have been eating peeled grapes. So it gets, oh. you got all these, yeah. And, uh, or or a bowl of cheese. Or, or, yeah. That's right. Mm. Well, oh. yeah. did you watch it, John? Mm. 
I did. I, I saw it at the theater, actually. I forget what huh? I went to okay. see. Oh, I went to see Knock at the Cabin. Oh, uh, the oh I want to see. Shum-a-la-la-la-la-la Would you recommend film. that? I, I do, saw that. do want to see that. Uh, give, give me a Harrison Ford review of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not Shyamalan, just, you know, it's a twist. So I just knocked the cabin with David Bautista. Okay, yeah, facts. You just give us facts. All right, now give us the John Foolery uh, review. <laughs> yes! <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> we'll learn if there's any romance or sex scenes M. Night Shyamalan, <laughs> blah, 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 cabin. Oh, right. sex scenes, okay. <laughs> Spicy. <laughs> It's all right. All right. It's all right. Well, so that's what I saw the trailer yeah. for this Evil Dead film. Yeah, <laughs> Let's oh, get back around. Yeah, it's disgusting. Point. I think. Yeah. So you yeah, had I to watch this huge, like, like yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. Horror movies and that stuff doesn't bother me. That okay. I'm not a big Evil Dead fan. So mm-hmm. send the hate mail. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Just just because I didn't grow up with those. I like horror films of all kinds. I yeah. saw Blood Beach more than I saw Evil Dead. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of horror okay. movies that I saw. But yeah. mm-hmm. I'm just tired of two things people creepily walking on the ceiling <laughs> a trope and and mm. bathtubs full of blood i'm okay. sick of those yeah. two things uh-huh. that people come out of and be all creepy and they can yeah. over the top of the bathtub and every it's 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 so overused and I'm, it's not even scary it used the first time i saw somebody you know stuck to the ceiling like a spider it yeah. made me insane but Skin now sure. i'm just like oh that again uh-huh. oh, okay. they're like get down from there with the broomstick. You're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> no, I'm more spot, mature. Spot. Did, were you, did you have a broom? Were you trying to think of getting somebody down from the ceiling with a broom? Is that what yeah. You're, yeah, yeah, exactly. Get down. <laughs> Get back in the tub. Get down off the ceiling. Drain that tub. <laughs> That's going to leave a ring. So clean it. Aww. That's right. Clean it. <laughs> this is the fifth entry in this uh, deceptively sprawling evil dead uh, film franchise. The first three movies and the subsequent TV show, uh, Ash vs. Evil Dead, starred Bruce Campbell as uh, right. intrepid Ashley, Ash Williams, uh, mm-hmm. who, who is the one who fights off the uh, demons hellbent on uh, possessing human flesh. A 2013 film served as a sort of soft reboot of the series, but not much came of it. Um, mm-hmm. But Bruce Campbell did not reprise his role in that. Although I think there's a post-credits thing with him in it. I don't know what that was about. I didn't, I didn't see oh. it. I wasn't interested. I liked the first mm-hmm. films, but I wasn't interested in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, in the synopsis for Evil Dead, they, they describe it as uh, the, the the titular evil is descending upon a single mother, played by mm-hmm. Alyssa Sutherland, mm-hmm. when she is being visited by her sister Beth, played by Lily Sullivan. But the trailer gave us more of a glimpse into this twisted familial relationship, where it, pe- mm-hmm. it appears that the a young child, uh, who's played by Nell Fisher, uh, mm-hmm. is having to do battle with uh, it's either her mother or her aunt who seems uh-huh. to be the main antagonist slash zombie, whatever these things are, undead, deadite, right? deadite yeah. uh, in the deadite, film. Yeah. And, and I got to tell you guys, I'm, I, look, there's some, I like clever horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like just, you know, uh, por- what do they call porn? Uh, torture porn, you know, stuff that's just mm-hmm. gross for the sake of being titillating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But aside from that, I, I learned, this happened it, what, immediately after I had my first child, I didn't know this was going to happen until I tried to watch a film or a TV mm-hmm. show that featured children in danger. And I oh, found myself yeah. not being able to watch it. Like, nope. It, it changes, changes things, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like it's like a switch in your head. Yeah. So that's the biggest issue for me with this film. I was otherwise curious to see it. It seems like an interesting premise where it's kind of a, what do they call that though? A self-contained when they have a TV episode or something where it's like in one spot. Canned Story episode. in a bottle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just going to be in one apartment building. I think the rise is kind of a play on that. It's a high rise and it's where the oh, evil is. Okay. Oh, I um, see. Yeah. But I saw that kid. I was like, nope, I can never watch this. And I could barely make nah, it through the you trailer. You just can't watch it. 
I, no, I won't. I will never watch it. But you know what? The kid will be fine. Almost never does the kid actually get hurt. You that, know? That's like a thing. That's like yeah. a, a, a taboo. And when yes. you do that, people just go, you are insane. How'd yes. you do that in a movie? You know? uh, yeah, you dogs and kids, yeah. Yeah. Like right. poltergeist. She'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Eventually you'll get her out. You know, one of those things? Yeah. Just, that's how it is in movies. I, th- yeah. I hope. I hope they don't break the trend. Oh, man. Yeah, my, my, <laughs> I would hope. There was a movie that yeah. came out not too long ago. It was like Hugh Jackman and uh, I think Paul Dano and... Huh, somebody else was in it. And like, uh, I think they think Paul Dano kidnapped his kids, so he kidnaps Paul Dano. I think it's called Hostage or Hostages or something like that. Anyway, okay. in the movie, it's about totally these, these it. two kids, I think two kids, that get kidnapped at the beginning of the film. And then mm-hmm. the efforts yep. Hugh Jackman goes to try to find these kids and get him back. And the lengths mm-hmm. he goes are criminal. That's what oh. the sort of moral of the story is. He winds up mm-hmm. doing bad things to somebody who's innocent because mm-hmm. he believes this guy was the criminal. Oh, so it's kind of a wow. cool tale, but I saw those mm-hmm. kids. I'm like, I'm not watching this. And my, uh, my cousin <laughs> recommended it. And she, she said to me, I trust me. It's a great movie. I promise you the kids will be fine. I promise you. <laughs> it didn't even matter for you. No, you know then I watched it. Then I watched it without a shirt. Oh, did you? Okay. All right. But you you're right. Shirts. I can't roll the dice on that. Otherwise, you know, mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. film looking to break uh, tropes or, you know, sort of. Yeah. Right. Kill off right. the kid. Well, after I see it, I'll, I'll get you a Harrison Ford review and let you know how it was. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Kid turned out to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, for folks with the original film, there's uh, more than a few moments that suggest that this new installment may be connected to the earlier films, if, or maybe not, but certainly they had enough uh, clever nods and homages if it, if, if they're only, maybe they're only that. Um, but mm-hmm. there's frequent shots of a dock on a lake where it seems like the, maybe the initial mm-hmm. possession took place. Mm-hmm. which could imply that the film is somehow connected to the cabin in the woods where the uh, demonic chaos first began in the original. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. The book that summons the demons is also familiar. It, it seems mm-hmm. to have gotten a uh-huh. quote unquote facelift. I mean, maybe a literal <laughs> facelift because, <laughs> Oh, uh, you know, the Necronomicon in the original films, right? It was Necronomicon ex mortis and it was mm-hmm. ne- known as the Notorum de Manto in the first film. Uh, they changed the name at one point, but it had kind of a face on it. This one doesn't really have a face. So it, it did, did get a, like, a yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> face got lifted. Yeah. We also see the heroine in the trailer wielding a chainsaw. I mean, that's straight up Ash Williams right there. Yeah. Uh, oh. And there's also a record that's playing where uh, that was mm. also in, uh, something in the original film. That was the only part I liked. There was a, a vinyl record. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, yeah. I want to be excited about a film like this because it yeah. looks like to be, again, a continuation. It's a horror film. And just, yeah. I saw so many of those, like I said, those tropes that I hate. And yeah. I didn't pick up on the kid in danger because I just assumed the kid will be fine. So I didn't pick up on that. But mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, want to, I want to be excited about it. I just am. I just am not. So. Yeah. I am not. I am very very unexcited about this. Yeah, very not. Well, yes. And I <laughs> have nothing, if I have nothing, you'd have to, to get me to watch the trailer again. You'd have to do I'm just thinking for Orange. For Kat, it has the word evil in it. Already she wasn't interested. It has the word dead right, in it. If she help. got past evil somehow, it has the word dead in it. <laughs> Rise, I guess she could have gotten with Rise. I regret it. Hey, another <laughs> 1980s news as reported by Decider, and this is a spoiler alert. Hey. For the Disney Plus series Willow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this might even apply to you guys because mm-hmm. I don't. I know. I think Cat got through the whole thing. I think Jack, mm-hmm. John's even started mm-hmm. it, but that's it's okay. Nope. No, it's okay. It's all right. You're I don't mind being spoiled. I, I, I didn't say that. It's just, oh, I'm okay. stuck because I can't start the series until I rewatch the film. Yeah. And I can't get around oh. to watching the film, and so I'm stuck. 
I get I just, it. it mm. It's a roadblock mm-hmm. in my brain. I cannot circumvent. I've got to do it in that order or I can't. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> I respect that. I absolutely yes. respect that. No, thank yeah, you. You know, and I don't know. You need to see the first one recently. I know you've seen it before I, and I didn't mm-hmm. watch it recently. Mm-hmm. And I recall thinking it was when I was younger and watched it. It's fine. Like I thought it's mm-hmm. fine. You know? Mm-hmm. Okay. I had never seen it before. And we, I watched it for the first time, the movie. The film, right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the film, uh, when did I watch it? I feel like it was a little bit past the summer, maybe this past fall. <laughs> so so yeah. pretty recently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Huh. That doesn't mean I lodged every detail, yeah, <laughs> but it was pretty recent. <laughs> well, I do wonder what that experience would be rolling from the film relatively, you know, mm-hmm. within a year into the series. That's gotta be kind of cool. Straight into though, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's part of why I was eager to watch mm-hmm. this series because yeah. it, it felt I would expect and, yeah. you're getting more out of it, Kat, than someone mm. who doesn't have the movie fresh, which is exactly why I've got to watch the movie <laughs> first because I want the yeah. full experience in case it's yeah. good. I don't want to miss out on anything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like they give you enough in the new show for, they assume folks haven't seen it, you know? Sure. sure. I, think, I expected yeah, yeah, they yeah. would, yeah. but, but I there's always cool yeah. stuff in there for people that do know the movie. That's the kind of, yes. I'm well, guessing like th- that's how they will do this. Yeah. You're like, Oh, that's the thing from the place that they didn't talk about, but I know what that is. One of those things that you get, you feel yeah. smart. You're like, oh, I know what it is. I think I watched <laughs> enough times to catch some Easter eggs when mm-hmm. I was younger to know it. But anyway, hey, regarding the series, however, let's talk about how Val Kilmer returned as Mad mm-hmm. Mardigan and Willow. So look, we're told at the outset of the series, which like we're talking about here, mentioned, as we mentioned, it, it continues the original 1988 film. But we're told mm-hmm. at the beginning of the series that the swashbuckling Mad Mardigan played by Val Kilmer was sent on an important quest, you know, post-film and prior series, mm-hmm by his wife, Queen Sorsha, they're married now, uh, played mm-hmm. by Joanne Whaley, only he never returned. Uh, the new adventure of this show follows the daughter of Mad Mardigan and Sorsha, Kit, played mm-hmm. by Ruby Cruz, as she leads a party that includes Willow himself, Warwick Davis, to rescue uh, Kit's twin brother. That's mm-hmm. the show in the nutshell. Well, in cool. episode six, again, we're, f- we're f- uh, you know sort of uh, jumping ahead here. I don't want to know about this, but uh, Kit and Willow find themselves captured by one of the antagonists of the show, only to be imprisoned alongside someone claiming to be Kit's long-lost father, Mad Mardigan. So they meet this guy. Who are you? I'm Mad Mardigan. He looks very similar. He's got the hair Mm -hmm. and the look. And what I think is probably the coolest, it's not an Easter egg, but the coolest... Uh, maybe connection we have to the, even the era of the 1980s in this yes. film. Oh my gosh, the definitely imposter, a favorite part. Mm-hmm. The imposter is played by Christian Slater. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize it at first. My oh, husband no. was like, is that, oh. is that? And then, then he, he called it and I'm yeah. like, so, well, yeah. they, I, I kind of <laughs> think they did one of those shots where, you know, I love, I like what they do this in films. They don't always do this right. But one of those mm-hmm. films when they reveal a character in a way that, you know, it's being played by a big actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. right, right. They don't, they don't uh, want to tip their hand right away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just kind of in shadow. Yeah. Very- yeah. So yeah. that for me was like, <laughs> this is going to be, oh, it's Christian Slater. Now <laughs> he plays throughout when, for the remaining of the, you know, of the show that while he's in it, he plays Mad Mardigan, essentially. Now, he, he explains why he's not Mad Mardigan. He was actually a member of the party that got lost on this uh, mission that uh, mm-hmm. they were sent out mm-hmm. on years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to think that this part was probably intended for Val Kilmer originally, right? Only I wonder. Because yeah. we know ultimately he couldn't be in it because he was concerned about his health. It was, he, had, uh, just, he was recovering from his cancer surgery. COVID hit, so he had to drop out. 
it's played like Mad Mardigan style, the humor, you know, the quips. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You, you, you got to think so, yeah. right? To, to, to put that little twist on it, that, that would make sense. Yeah. Because yes. there was a plan, as we discussed in a previous episode, there right. was a plan mm-hmm. to get Kilmer involved and it just, timing didn't work out and COVID happened and he had to back out. Right. So they had this, they had a way to fit it in. So it mm-hmm. seems that this character that, yeah, that makes sense. And I thought he was great at that. Christian Slater, oh I thought he was gosh. perfect. That was one, that's one of my favorite parts of the series. Yes, is, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, him. <laughs> well, uh-huh. uh, eventually this character uh, who's named Allagash, uh, the Christian Slater character, yes. uh, leads the a party to a location that's supposed to be one of the shows where one of the show's MacGuffins is supposed to reside. <laughs> um, it's there that we hear the quote unquote real, I guess are real within the world of the show, Mad Mardigan. We hear his voice beckoning his daughter to join him in a magical underworld uh, Mm -hmm. because he needs her help. Well, if you stick around long enough and watch the credits, you'll see that Val Kilmer and Joanne Whaley, the two actors who I mentioned earlier played Mad Mardigan and Queen Sorcia, their Mm -hmm. real life son, because they were once married, Jack is credited as providing Mad Mardigan's (laughs) voice. I did not stick around no. to find that out. So yeah, reading yeah. this was the first I knew. That's so I didn't cool. see it, yeah. but I read the article. The part uh-huh. you're going to talk about next is by far the coolest part of this story, though. Mm. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it is. Do you want to tell oh, it? it? Is. I don't know what are you going to tell? You want- <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I thought, and I even made up a name for it. I thought it was awesome. So yeah. so Jack did the voice of his dad you know, mm-hmm. as Mad Morgan. Yep. Morgan. So obviously you sound like your dad a bit. That makes yeah. sense. Surprising. I mean, it was stunning to me how much he sounds like him. Mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. best part is that apparently yeah. Val Kilmer did record the lines on camera. Now, you know, mm-hmm. since he had throat cancer, he doesn't have the ability to really use his vocal cords, full command of his voice, yeah. but he performed it to mm-hmm. the camera mm-hmm. and his son used that as a reference for his performance. Right. So right. cool. Yes. So cool. So like, I call that vocal rotoscoping. Right. So it's like, yes, right, sure. it's, I have vocal performance to do. So let me see how this other person would do it and map myself onto there. I can mm. imagine now while Kilmer, of course, doesn't, doesn't have his command of his voice any longer. Yes. Certainly his inflections and his timing and his pacing, all that is something that was yeah. observed mm-hmm. to really mm-hmm. lock in the Mad Mardigan vibe. And that's, I think that's, that's a great way to not just your son is there, but your son is there doing his best to do it the way you would, because you did a, you did a scratch track for him. That's right. really cool. Right. Yeah. That is so cool. Mm-hmm. What is rotoscoping? Rotoscoping is a thing where in cartoons, they draw it over top of live action, right? So you have somebody really dancing like uh, Snow White, right? And then they put the the onion paper over the person dancing and draw Snow White over top of that, right? So it's, it's a, you're rotoscoping, you're, I don't know where the name came from, but you're using live action to map uh-huh. the art. And it's almost a vocal version of that where his son was mapping his performance over top of the real life performance. Someone did. Very cool. I like that. Yeah, and with regard yeah. to uh, Jack's Jack Kilmer's participation in the show, uh, showrunner mm-hmm. Jack, Jonathan Kasdan told the cider, quote, Jack has been a great friend of Willow all along. Between Joanne and Val, he basically is the child of the Willow franchise, end quote. Right. It's cra- <laughs> it is crazy. It's a family affair, yeah. Yes, yep. That's amazing. Um, I didn't yep. know that they were a real-life couple, or if I did, it fell out of my head. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was a brief thing. Yeah. I think it was only for a oh, few okay. years, but yeah. Following this film, I think it was yeah. following this film. Kazan also thinks Val Kilmer would like to return to the show, to Willow, if Mm -hmm. he's eventually able to. Uh, Regarding uh, season two, however, uh, executive producer Ron Howard told uh, The Hollywood Reporter that, quote, there's 
always been a hope and a plan for more seasons, but there's nothing concrete that I can comment on right now, end quote. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, speaking of Top Gun, which we did a moment ago, Kilmer, Kilmer, Val Kilmer, that is, was last seen on- Kilmer. (laughs) Kilmer, yeah. I matched him with himself when I shipped him. I shipped him with himself. (laughs) Kilmer was last seen on screen- uh, reprising another one of his iconic 1980s roles. He played the older, wider, wiser version of uh, Tom Iceman Kazansky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have. Th- I, I really thought they used that AI that they used in the Star Wars, in uh, what was it, the Boba Fett show or something, to do mm-hmm. his voice. It, it's stunning to me how okay. much he sounds like his dad. It's fantastic. But now we just know his son can do his voice and overdub it. I mean, yeah, why not? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Who needs AI anymore when you, you, you have uh, progeny? We got to do, I'm going to find a way for us to talk about AI on a 1980s now show because it's driving me crazy how much people are in love with AI. I'm not in love with AI. Not you guys. You guys are cool and smart. All right. Hey, we're level-headed. All right. Let's try to keep the show under three hours this week. And we'll say that. (laughs) That was 1980s news. All right, this is going to be one of those episodes where I tell you stuff and I feel like I talk too much, but I probably should have given these things out, but I don't want to burden you guys either. So there you go. So you're just listening to oh, make as many cool. comments as you want, and I'll talk as less as I need to. Great. We'll move so on interrupt. Soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Standard episode. Somebody's- Standard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hey, well, first let's talk about um, the original Marty McFly. You guys probably know this story. I feel like I do. do. Yep. Yeah, so, as, as, so then I'll include you in this group when I say, Back to the Future fans already know that Eric <laughs> Stoltz filmed mm-hmm. six weeks of the film right. before being let go. Mm-hmm. I didn't yep. look to confirm it because I've seen some differing uh, r- rumors or comments about this, but it's believed that Eric Stoltz actually is even still in the film. That's right. That there's some mm-hmm. shots of him behind his head or that oh. are or behind Marty's head that are actually Stoltz yeah. and not his ultimate successor. Wow. Yeah. So, so there was some OTS shots that were done from behind yeah. for mm-hmm. other characters, you know, doing coverage and they didn't redo all those because you don't need them because he's wearing the same goofy yeah. costume. Right? Okay. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think in particular, the examples I had seen, and again, I didn't go back to double check this, but I think it was Biff in the mm-hmm. diner. You know, I'm going to take a brief aside here. You know that of course, Lou Ferrigno was the incredible Hulk, but originally Ed uh-huh. Cassidy was cast as the incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed Cassidy's Lurch, I, by the way. Oh, yeah. I thought it was Richard, <gasps> Cl- Richard uh, Keel was uh, Okay. No, Richard Keel does the voice. Oh, okay. No, no it's, so, it's, it's the other way around. It's the other way around. Ed Cassidy does the, the voice. Around. You're right. right Richard right, right. Keel, I'm sorry. Yeah, Jaws. Richard Keel is the one who was cast. Point is, he still is in a scene in Incredible Hulk because of that oh. very thing. It was some coverage. You couldn't make out the face. So it didn't matter. Sure. Oh, mm-hmm. great. Hmm. Wow. That's cool. Cutting room for floor fodder. <laughs> for our show or for the Hulk? No, 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 for our show. Oh, for our show? I can leave that in. (laughs) Okay, went on a wild tangent. Uh, No, that's relevant. Hey, well, anyway, so regarding Back to the Future, though, uh, last year, Christopher Lloyd discussed the initial casting of Eric Stoltz as Marty McFly, Mm. Mm -hmm. um, saying that, quote, Stoltz is a wonderful actor. I had no idea the change was coming. Oh. Um, uh One night, we were shooting the mall uh, beginning sequence, and we were asked to come to one of the trailers at one o'clock in the morning. Uh, Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, who was the uh, producer on the project, one mm-hmm. of the producers, was there and he made the announcement of the change. Hmm. Uh, initially, Lloyd was worried about rebuilding repertoire again with a different Marty McFly, but noted that, quote, it all worked out, end quote. I, I don't have a mm-hmm. reference that I can put in my footnotes here, but yeah. I have seen on multiple occasions, uh, maybe it was Giant Freaking Robot, I don't know, but multiple places <laughs> I've read. Crumple, crumple, crumple. That <laughs> several actors have said it was yeah. like turning on a light bulb, like huh. between Stoltz. Ah. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh-huh. and switching 
it was as soon as he walked on set, it was like a different Marty McFly, a different movie, uh-huh. a different energy. And it just, it, mm-hmm. it, 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 they made the right decision. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. You would imagine, I mean, it's hard to imagine yeah. it with mm-hmm. Stoltz in there and some of the footage is available on the internet, but he's such a different mm-hmm. performer. And I, he's a great actor. I loved him in The Fly 2 and Mask. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, playing this type of role, it, it would have been a very different film. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In, yeah. in, in fact, that is the issue that the producers had. He was in a different film, and that one that they didn't want to make with regard to the tone. Uh, the mm-hmm. Hollywood Reporter wrote that Stoltz was, quote, just not right for the role, and the filmmakers could mm-hmm. no longer overlook the issue, end quote. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and in an interview for Netflix's The Movies That Made Us, uh, made by our friend over there, what do you call him, John? Uh, B- B- <laughs> BB Dubs. B- yeah. BB Dubs. Uh, the Back to the Futures gave an interview about Stoltz's time as Marty McFly, where they discussed how mm-hmm. his, <laughs> well, they discussed his depressing reading of the film's ending. Oh no. How that was what lost him the role. So we I think we talked about this with professor uh, with the philosophy professor. Like, like uh-huh. the very ending? Yes. So remember we I think we talked about this with the time travel uh, episode with Professor Hanley. So is he, is he crying as he's putting stuff in the Mr. Fusion? Oh, what's wrong right, with yeah. our kids? <laughs> what, are they, what are they assholes or something? Oh, not our kids. Jesus Christ. No. <laughs> No, before that, when he first returns home and he sees that his parents are different, his house is different, he has a different mm-hmm. car. If right. you remember, we talked to the professor about this. Uh, Stoltz locked, you know, sort of homed in on the idea that this Marty McFly, the one that we started with at the beginning of the film, was returning to a world he did not know. So even though yeah. his parents were wealthy and all these different things to success, there was a different Marty who lived that life. We don't know what mm-hmm. happened to that guy. So he doesn't really know he's missing out of the point. This is the life he wanted though. It's gotta be weird though. It's gotta be weird. Yeah. 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 And anyway, so yeah, he got really deep in philosophical. He got the girl. It's all perfect. Right. Why would you be upset? But he returns to a Jennifer who she, she could be like, uh, it was great that one time we went to the lake last time and we had that big party and he didn't. Marty was not Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Oh, Mm -hmm. it was, it was another Marty. Yeah. Mm. That I guess temporarily, maybe he just, replaced but that doesn't make any sense because we've seen look we're, we're now just raising all the issues with time travel that was gonna say, the paradoxes that result my brain. what they should have done is made back to the future 2 was the marty from that timeline shows up and it's like what the fuck are you doing in my bedroom or sleeping with my girlfriend <laughs> that would have been the episode and then he's got to travel back in time to get rid of that dude <gasps> And the other Marty is Eric Stoltz. Oh, there it is. There's the script. Show's over, guys. Put him in the writer's room. Um, anyway, so F- Michael G. Fox was, of course, brought on uh, to play the role ultimately because somehow these guys knew that he could strike the right balance, the right tone necessary mm-hmm. for the film, play it in a grounded mm-hmm. way, but in a comedic way as well, which was mm-hmm. not all that different, I suppose, from the work he was already doing on Family Ties. Right, True. right, yeah, yeah. Playing a, from a certain perspective, maybe an outrageous character, but believable nonetheless, saying these, you know, mm-hmm. things. Right. Um, but right. He, mm-hmm. com- kind of goofy, but with some gravity. Right, right. Mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. He, was, he was only brought on after a deal was formed that uh, allowed him to film Back to the Future at night while mm-hmm. uh, working on family ties during the day. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, Joel Thurm, who, you know, you'll hear our interview with him later this week, he was there for the casting of Family Ties, uh, he writes in his book that he believes this this uh, 
what Fox did or what they they worked out with Fox doing both TV and film was a first mm-hmm. step in, in breaking down the barrier that had otherwise separated these different industries. If you remember mm-hmm. back in the day, film actors look down on TV actors. If you're on oh, TV, no. that's no. it. You go there to die. Like you're not getting out of that. Wow. Right. Um, yeah. That's like the minor leagues, like a ball player, like, oh, I got sent down to TV. But Joel explains, and with regard to casting of Michael G. Fox on Family Ties, uh, again, because uh, just a plug for that interview and his book, uh, Joel explained that uh, everyone liked Michael G. Fox for Family Ties for Alex B. Keaton, except NBC studio head Brandon Tartikoff, who said mm-hmm. that Fox neither had neither comedy chops nor likability nor looks. Um, wrong. Uh, according, <laughs> Three according, strikes. According wrong, to wrong, Joel, uh, Tartikoff said, quote, his face is never going to be on a lunchbox. Uh, now, of course, strike. of course, Tartikoff eventually <laughs> relents because Michael T. Fox is cast on Family Ties. Mm-hmm. Upon getting the role, uh, Fox, who knew of Brandon's remark, had a lunchbox made with his face on it and sent it to Brandon, <laughs> who placed it in a prominent place in his office. Of course. Delicious. <laughs> Of course, Fox goes on to win three Emmys in a row for Outstanding League Actor in a Comedy Series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Hey, speaking of Back to the Future. Uh-huh. Yeah. If you recall, in the original 1985 Back to the Future, the very first mm-hmm. one, Claudia Wells, my friend Claudia mm-hmm. Wells, plays mm-hmm. Jennifer Parker, uh, mm-hmm. Marty's uh, love interest mm-hmm. in High School Sweetheart. Yes. Uh, while the character has a limited role in the first movie, since most of the action takes place in 1955, she plays a much larger role in the sequel, Back to the Future 2. Mm-hmm. While Wells was originally cast to play Jennifer, when a sitcom mm-hmm. uh, she was committed to began production, she became unavailable to play the part. Again, we're talking about the first film. Yeah. At that time, Melora Hardin, who ultimately we go to star on in the on The Office, that's when I first remember seeing her, I believe, and Transplant, was mm-hmm. brought in to take on the role. But at that point, Marty was still being played by Eric Stoltz. Okay. When Stoltz is ultimately replaced by Michael G. Fox, the mm-hmm. five foot seven Harden oh. is suddenly too tall to be paired with the five four Michael G. Fox. Oh. Interesting. So they let her go as a result. Oh, I know, man. don't they have Apple boxes? They do that all the time for Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. right? Right. Supposedly. Right. Uh, anyway, so. I can just hunch over if it helps. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway. Why so change a thing? At this time, <laughs> however, Claudia Wells' series had wrapped. Uh, mm-hmm. So according to Claudia, quote, I'm five foot three and a half and Michael's five four. So I got my part back. How uh-huh. cool is that? It's absolutely fate, uh-huh. end quote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, however, though, when, when it comes time to shoot yeah. the back-to-back sequels four years later, Mm-hmm. Uh, Hollywood's success is the furthest thing from, from Claudia Wells' mind because unfortunately, sadly, her, her mother, who was also her manager, was dying of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, regarding mm-hmm. that, she said, quote, I just didn't have it in me to do anything but deal with the stress and the emotions that were going on a result of my mom being in the process of dying, end quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. So she mm-hmm. reluctantly turns down the offer. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I heard her recently in an interview talking about, I think it was on Facebook or tw- Twitter, she posted, this is the most the question she gets asked the most, why didn't I come, come oh. back? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. she explained it again and she has no regrets about it. Her life took a different uh, trajectory, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. uh, she, she today feels confident about having made the right decision, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, she went and opened a high-end menswear resale shop, Armani mm-hmm. Wells, in Studio City, mm-hmm. California, which she still runs mm-hmm. today. 
Uh, hey. In fact, if you go to their website, you could schedule, it's only by appointment only. You could schedule mm-hmm. to go to Armani Wells and meet with Claudia Wells, who will help sell you a used, a gently used uh, article of men's clothing. A <laughs> gently used. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so cool. I, yeah, I would hope that, um, yeah, it sounds like she has no regrets and, and nor should she, right? Yeah. She, right. Uh, yeah. Made an excellent decision there. Uh, yeah. Of course, as a result, uh, Back to the Future 2 and 3, when they're cast, uh, the role of Jennifer Parker goes to Elizabeth Shue. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Who I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, I think she's adorable. Yeah, I did. loved her in Karate Kid, uh, Adventures mm-hmm. in Babysitting, her other films. I did not like her as Jennifer Parker. And no. I think for me, part of it was <laughs> like I already liked Claudia Wells' performance. Oh, that was Jennifer yeah. Parker. Mm-hmm. So it was that thing of someone being replaced sort of, you know, midway in a production run. Interloper. Yeah. <laughs> but also, you know, I don't think she was good for the part. Talking about, you know, casting. Okay. I think she uh-huh. was too over the top and silly uh-huh. for the sort of comedy. I think she played it kind of broad in a way that we were talking about mm. Michael J. Fox had this talent as keeping his feet on the ground while still sure. being in ridiculous mm-hmm. situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think she had that gift. Grounded and, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and too bad for Wells and good for Shoe that a much bigger part for her as several characters throughout two and three. Yeah. So, so maybe that over the topness helped her, you know, play in the, the clumps in the, in the third film, but. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but I can see what you mean about how she was a little more, a little more open, a little more comedic and less grounded. Yeah. Than yeah. Wells probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. never thought about uh, it. With regard to uh, Claudia Wells, she says that Marty McFly still holds a special place in her heart. Around 2007 at a Back to the Future convention, she mm-hmm. encountered Fox once more, saying, quote, when oh. he put his arms around me and I hugged him, I promise you, it felt like no time had passed at all. In terms mm-hmm. of our physicality and our connection and our chemistry, it was like a time warp had taken place, end quote. <gasps> nice. Oh. Time warp. <laughs> yeah. Of course, I had the great pleasure yeah. to tell her how much I love Jennifer Park. Stop, John. He's trying to hypnotize us again. Uh, it had gone full oh, circle. Oh, that's the time. Yeah, that's Harrison Ford's symbol yeah. for time travel. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was able to tell her how she's mm-hmm. my favorite Jennifer Parker and also why Jennifer Parker mm-hmm. is the hero, the true hero of the film. Yeah. All right. Hey, all right. Let's talk about uh, another guy here. Uh, so um, in, in other, in other cast, <laughs> this is another 1980s casting news. <laughs> and I learned this story in Joel Thurm's book. In 1969, the legendary Grant Tinker, who among other roles was the CEO of NBC throughout the 1980s, partnered with his then wife, Mary Tyler Moore, to create mm. MTM Productions. You know them. They're the one whose logo is a little kitten meowing, sort of a parody of the, uh, yep. what is it? Yeah, uh, the Metro Golden Meyer. Yeah. Because yeah. MGM, this was MTM, yes. so they kind of mirrored yeah. that with a kitty cat. His little cat. Um, oh my gosh. Now, most of MTM's TV shows were huge successes, both commercially and artistically. Uh, for example, they uh, created uh, the Mary, Mary Tyler Moore Show, of course, the Bob mm-hmm. Newhart Show, Rhoda, mm-hmm. Hill Street Blues, St. Elsewhere, mm-hmm. White Shadow, NYPD Blue, LA, and mm-hmm. many more. And by the way, I think mm-hmm. I want to say that Joel, I think, worked on casting all these shows in one capacity or another. Dang. Wow. Um, anyway, after leaving, it, after leaving NBC <laughs> in 1986, Tinker formed a new venture called GTG Production because he loves letters. He's a big fan of Sesame Street and loves letters. Anyway, this, this he partner- likes palindromes as well. Big fan. Ooh, ooh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Joel and his and his book writes with all that class. Grant's first foray into TV production at uh, GTG was a script mm-hmm. written by Michael Burke, Greg Bonham, and Douglas Schwartz. Its title, Baywatch. Okay. 
And Joel continues saying, these misguided individuals truly thought they had written a version of (laughs) Hill Street Blues at the beach. Indeed, (sighs) that's the shorthand they used to pitch and describe it. I'm guessing that though they wrote the script, they never read it. (laughs) (laughs) So when it came to cast the show, which premiered in 1989, the producers were insisting on a certain caliber of actor. Mm. Uh, which, you know, it's funny because this actually reminds me that once again, it's time to play. You gotta be fucking kidding. All right, so oh. I'm going to give you a list of actors that the producers wanted to play the uh, title role or the main role, rather. The main role uh-huh. on Baywatch. Oh, man. You tell well, me which, which main role. Which main role are we the, talking The role that ultimately goes to David Hasselhoff. Okay, yeah. that main role. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. You just All tell right. me which okay. one wasn't really on their list. Okay. Ooh. was not not on their list. list. I'm going to give you the list that the producers said to Joel, this is who we want to ha- to have for this cat work. Do and one work, of these was not on that list. Actually. One of these is not on the list. Not okay. on the oh, list. No. Tell me which one, one was. One of these right, things is not like their thing. The role <laughs> that ultimately goes to David Hasselhoff, the creators of okay. the show, Baywatch, okay. wanted mm-hmm. one of these actors to play it. Okay. Right. Sam Shepard, John Voight, Chris Christopherson, Tom Hanks, Harrison Ford, Lawrence Olivier, and Peter O'Toole. All of those, but for one, were on the actual list that they believed should play the role that ultimately goes to David Hasselhoff. Wow. Oh, oh man. Like, there's several that don't fit. Yes. Yeah, and I'm trying to think. Ages, like how old was Hanks? No, he was a star by then. He was, oh, he was a rising star. I think he'd done big maybe by then. I'm not sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, he had. Yeah. Mm. So he was he was somebody. It wasn't pre bosom buddies or anything. No. So oh, I, man. I mean, I think if you're shooting for the for the moon, you're gonna Hanks is probably on the list. Anybody sore thumb stick out for you, Kat? Um Peter O'Toole was uh, definitely a bit of a sore thumb <laughs> for me at the end there. Not for you though, looks like again. The David Hasselhoff part. Lawrence Olivier yeah. is on this list. Oh, that one too. <laughs> but John Voight sounds weird to me. Yes. All right, just take yes. a guess. You're never going to know for sure. Just Holy take a wild cow. guess. Are you, are okay, you messing with tro- this? Are they all not on the list? Only one is? Or are you, are you, did you do no, a switch that's what I told you. All of, everyone okay. was on the list except for one. Trope master. They all, so many sound out of place. You're right. It was Tom what? Hanks. I'm just getting bored of waiting. <laughs> really? Tom Hanks yeah. was no. not on the list. You're kidding. The otherwise Wait. producers of Baywatch seriously believed that Sam Shepard, John Voight, Christopher, Chris Christopherson, Harrison Ford, Lawrence Olivier, Hamlet himself. Uh, and Peter Did you O'Toole. say Tom Hanks? I don't think we earned that dun dun dun. I think I, we I both just, dismissed Tom I'm just Hanks. ready to move on. Just, I'm just ready to move on. Okay. <laughs> He's ready to move on. Uh, when you first said his name, I yeah. was like, huh. I wouldn't put him in there. But then when you said those other ones, I was like, There's oh, so many others that are worse. must have yeah, right. been on that list. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Crazy. So uh, Joel asked, uh, when he heard this list, he asked the producers, you know, are uh, the casting. So it's kind of, there's a few folks who play roles in this. There's like a casting person at the show level and the casting person at mm-hmm. the network level. So mm-hmm. uh, he asks the person who's sort of putting this list together, put David Hasselhoff on it. Okay. You know, even though the producers don't want David Hasselhoff on there because he's not of the caliber of these other actors, put him uh-huh. on it. And he asks him to keep him on there until, quote, all the stars pass. End quote. <laughs> Which is exactly oh what happened. Every other single actor declined the part, 
some nicely, and according to Joel, some with a, are you fucking kidding? Mm. Really? It's just a so few- apparently they did read the script. Yeah. They yeah. read it. Yes. <laughs> well, it's even a little more interesting here. It was not, it was only a few weeks from production now. So the producers relented and asked to set up a, a, an audition for Hasselhoff, who said he would an audition. But out of respect for Tinker, again, who was a big, a big wig at the time, mm-hmm. that he would read the script. Once he read the script, Hasselhoff passed. He didn't want to do it either. <laughs> You're kidding. Nobody no. wanted it. Even, not even, oh my gosh. <laughs> Finally, they begged him to meet face to face with Tinker. Uh, and Joel writes, mm-hmm. quote, whatever transpired in that room is known only to Grant, David, and their accountants. But David came out of that room <laughs> having agreed to do the part. What's more, David also signed on as an executive producer. He was on his way to untold riches. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. Here's a weird one that I had never heard of. Uh, director, you know, director oh, Stanley Kubrick, uh, mm-hmm. even if you've never. Not personally, but yes. No, no yeah. You know, it's too late to know him now. Uh, but you may have, in addition to being fans of his films or having seen some of his films, you may have heard some of the tales of what it is like to work on a Stanley Kubrick set. Uh, he is mm. known for taking a lot of time during production to do setups. A lot of takes, perfectionist. Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. He's okay. known for bringing actors to tears by making them oh, perform no. something like John said over and over again. Uh, some scenes in The Shining were, were supposedly shot as many as 50 times. Uh, Shelley Duvall's wow, convincingly right. manic performance is attributed in part to Kubrick's methods. Uh, also, I think he, I think they said he, he, he kind of mistreated her too. She's kind of oh. really drove her to sort of, you know, mm-hmm, uh, feeling mm-hmm. how she Do you really think he was really her. mistreating her or do you think he was really trying to put her in a mindset to get that performance? Uh, there are or some directors that would do that. Some from column A, some from column B. Yeah. But I, right, uh, you yeah. know. I'm not saying it's right. Yeah, I just no, no, wonder. No. It's Kubrick. You know? There are directors right. that do that. I, I think. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, based on what I've heard of him on other sets, yeah. I, I think mm-hmm. maybe not. I think he was just being himself, but I don't know. Uh, anyway, nice. um, in spite of all the patience he had with regard to making his films, even he had his limits. Uh, he reportedly lost his patience with the original actor set to play Private Joker in Full Metal Jacket. After hmm. that, actor took more than eight months to negotiate his contract. The actor, Anthony Michael Hall. Hmm. <laughs> So Anthony, okay. you know, you, you would think that Anthony Michael Hall, who ultimately had just, you know, or at the time had only played nerds and losers in other films yes. and mostly yes. in John Hughes films, would have jumped right. at the chance to be a soldier in a Stanley yeah. Kubrick film. You wouldn't right. think there'd be that much negotiation. Yeah. He'd be like, what's your offer? Sold. Yes. <laughs> anyway, but his repeated changes to the contract were too much for the legendary director who let Hall go and ultimately hired actor Matthew Modine to replace him. Very different actors. I don't even know how you have Anthony Michael Hall and Matthew Modine in the same sort of, it's like having Hasselhoff and Olivier together almost. Yeah. Do you think the part probably changed when they got recast though? It's not, they're not interchangeable. Like you said, I mean, well, certainly the performance was different, but I wonder if they actually changed the, the texture of the character when they got Modine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, he's a fairly mild-mannered character, as far as I remember. It's nothing too. I don't know. It's possible. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it ultimately worked out uh, well for for Kubrick and Matthew Modine. Mm. Yes, but, but not for Anthony Michael Hall. <laughs> stop <laughs> me if you've heard this one already. Oh. Probably, don't don't actually stop me because we need some content. <laughs> okay. Even though we've been talking for an hour and a half, we need to flesh uh, out so the final. Here's another final one. one. The Predator is one. Of, look, you know the guys know the Predator movies, right? I watched mm-hmm. the first one. Oh, yeah. cool! Very cool. 
Mm-hmm. So I ain't got time to bleed. I think in the, <laughs> you know, the annals of, it's not really a horror movie, but it's sort of a sci-fi horror sort of monster in yeah. the house kind mm-hmm. of thing, a different twist on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I would put the Predator up there with, you know, sort of having an iconic look and behavior yeah. uh, associated with him in much the same way you got Freddy and Jason and, and Michael yeah. Myers of that era. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But he didn't always look the way he does. Uh, the original Predator creature, was, which was created by Richard Edlund of, of, of Boss Film Studios, was a mm-hmm. disproportionate, ungainly creature that had these big bulbous eyes and kind of a long dog snout. Oh, okay. You can find this online, mm-hmm. the original stuff. It's terrible. It looks terrible. Oh, my. So, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Are we going from casting actors to casting costumes now? Oh, oh no. I'm going oh. to the, get to the actor in a second. Here. Okay. Oh, All right. Okay. I'd be like, well, this costume really held things up in well, negotiations. So. Because of that. <laughs> <laughs> you got recast. Oh. They recast the mold of the costume. They recast it. Oh. I'm, I'm going to need points for my dog snout. Sorry. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um. But because of the shape of it and because they envisioned this otherworldly villain to be very agile, mm-hmm. the producers mm-hmm. originally cast as the villain to be in this costume, mm-hmm. uh, aspiring martial artist Jean-Claude Van Damme. Okay. Yep. Uh-huh. There's actually footage of Jean-Claude uh, in the costume and doing some stuff and there's photos of him. It looks ridiculous. It's yeah. fucking ridiculous. Oh, Will, boy. stop. Stop. Yeah. yeah. I heard this one before. Okay, no, we're going anyway, like I said. Oh, you said part. Don't. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when you got this 5'9", uh, this is just coming out shaming people because they're height. I'm only 5'8", all right? <laughs> so I tower over Michael J. Fox, but now I'm short compared to this guy. They say he's short. Anyway, when uh, the 5'9", uh, Van Damme was compared to Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl mm-hmm. Weathers, you got mm-hmm. Jesse the Body Ventura, who are all Not over so intimidating. six feet tall right. and, you know, like 300 pounds of muscle. Uh, it became more apparent that he was not physically imposing enough to uh, mm. be play opposite these guys. But also, Van Damme was reportedly complaining constantly about the the, the suit uh, oh. for two reasons. One, he said it was too hot, and I think mm-hmm. at times he even passed out. And the second thing was he was oh. concerned that no one was actually going to see him. You know, like when he took the role, he didn't realize his face was going to be covered the whole time. <laughs> Do you know what that? you signed up for, yeah. Jean Claude? <laughs> they put the mask on him. He's like, I, I don't think anybody's going to be able to see me though. <laughs> Yeah, dummy. You're playing the <laughs> monster in the costume. No, we can see you through the the big bulbous eyes. Just smile. <laughs> Move your face closer They're to They're translucent. The, yes. Dude. Go closer to the eyes. And he's just squishing his face in the one eye. Uh, that's right. I feel like Sigmund the sea monster. Oh, <gasps> wow. Yeah, that's a deep cut. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, ultimately the producers- you, Wait, John, are you okay? You were flapping your arms. Are you I was, no, no, I didn't get just, winded. No, I was doing the, the co- Sigmund oh, Sea Monster yeah, flop, costume, little fins. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, just hit me. Oh, Jesus. <gasps> See? It's not oh. just me. Oh, ultimately, right. the producers agreed with Van Damme <laughs> and, and that the original design for the creature was too cumbersome to manage in the jungle. And, it, and they realized it looked ridiculous. And it's really cheaply made- I think they were hopeful they were going to fix a lot of things in post, but the technology in the eighties did not exist to do much other than what they got in camera. Anyway. So the pictures of this. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh, Oh, you you know what I'm picturing? 
is the wonderful 50s film that's like a gorilla suit with a space helmet yeah. on the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's right. what I'm imagining. Yes. Leftover parts of things. <laughs> yes. It's like, yeah. What do we got? Well, we got an old werewolf. All right. Bug eyes on you know, that. This thing, what it looks more like is a really terrible cosplay. Like it's worse than any cosplay you've ever seen. It looks almost like a giant, uh, the giant, uh, you know, like the kids make the cosplay a lot of it at foam. Ah, yeah. sheets of, okay. It looks like just it's a thing of foam. It has no detail on it. Again, I think they were going to somehow put other stuff on it afterward. I don't know how they were going to fix it. Wouldn't but, it be great um, if somebody cosplayed with this? Oh, yes. Yeah. That's good. Deep I could cut. do it. I'm almost tall enough. Deep, deep. There you just go. Just an inch too short. <laughs> Nearly. Nearly. And I should say Jean-Claude Van Damme, when he was in the suit, it was built that the head fit on top of his head. So the alien was actually taller than his 5'9 stature. But that only uh, lent to its ridiculousness because his face was in the neck of it, <laughs> you know. So, he's, he's got little eye holes peeking through the horror. So it was like a, it was like a mesh. Hey, over his, yeah, oh, it's a theme park mascot. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> do, 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 do. Signing autographs. Uh, anyway, at four p.m., the predator will do a meet and greet in front of the castle. <laughs> You're not the predator. <laughs> Kicks him in the nuts. So uh, anyway, as you folks know, because John already knows the story, ultimately he's replaced by the seven foot tall, seven foot, two inch tall Kevin Peter Hall, who had just finished playing the Sasquatch in Harry and the Hendersons. And oh even God. better than that, starred in one of our favorite gone too fast sci-fi shows from the 1980s, Misfits of Science, where oh. he didn't have to wear a costume or be in a mask at all. You actually got to Aww. see his face and hear his voice on every episode because he was one of the main characters. Uh, wait, wait. Yeah. Huh? Misfits of Science? Yeah. Don't you I've like never it? heard of that. <gasps> ever. Oh, John. If you like what cheesy sci-fi really? shows from the 1980s. Seriously? Yes. I've never heard of it. Uh-huh. Eve, I've never seen it, mm-hmm. but Did I've you heard make of it, it up? <laughs> it's, this is oh. like a It's like kidding? a Bernstein Bear problem that I have in Mandela oh, effect. Okay, like yeah. In my world it never existed. Really? Yes. You better get it on Flex. Yep. <laughs> and while yes. you mo- you won't you'll recognize some of the actors including maybe uh, the one that will stick out the most to you is a young Courtney Cox, who, oh, oh my yeah. gosh, this is just becoming one plug for Joel Thurman, who suggested her, <laughs> who, uh, who ultimately got her cast in Misfits of Science, because after he okay. saw her in the Bruce Springsteen video, he got her signed to a contract at NBC, and they were just waiting for a show to plug her in. Boom, she gets wow. plugged into Misfits of Science. She's one of the main characters as well. It's uh, it's Boop. it's basically the X-Men without calling them the X-Men and a lot, and a very low budget over the top, mm. cheesy '80s sci-fi. <laughs> but wow. uh, look, with regard to because we were talking about now the Predator for forty-five <laughs> minutes, even though this was like supposed to be a blow, a sort of a story that we just blow through because John knows it already. Um, for a more fearsome-looking villain, the director John McTiernan consulted legendary FX artist Stan Winston, who had previously worked with Schwarzenegger on uh, the Terminator. Uh, uh-huh. Supposedly, at least according to the internet, while on a plane ride to Fox Studios alongside director James Cameron. Winston mm-hmm. sketched his monster ideas and Cameron suggested he always wanted to see a creature with mandibles, which of uh. course is a part of the Predator's iconic look. So this really isn't a commentary mm-hmm. on Van Damme not being able to perform. It was mm-hmm. that what they had designed wasn't right. When they redesigned it, mm-hmm. he wasn't right for it anymore. It's one of yeah, those Yeah, I mean, probably he's right? complaining about, you know, the very job he took on probably didn't help any. Because he, he, he didn't I, want to wear a mask. Can you guys see me? Did you see me in here? You know it's me, right? This guy will not shut up. 
I can't see through the neck. All right, here's another one. Uh, nobody knows the value of a movie franchise like Sylvester Stallone, who counts Rocky mm -hmm. and Rambo among his bankable film series. So it must be with some chagrin that Stallone looks back on his experience with 1984's Beverly Hills Cop. You guys remember this story? Oh, it was yeah, Stallone who was originally cast as the wisecracking Detroit police officer Axel Foley. Really? Yeah, dumb. What? <laughs> Talk about a different movie. Wow. Woo. Right. Wow. Well, we actually get ultimately to see, we have seen Stallone's Beverly Hills Cop. Oh my well, God. Well, first let me mention this, but besides Stallone, other actors were also considered for the role, including Mickey Rourke. Think mm -hmm. about the uh, Baywatch thing I just told you. Mickey Rourke, Richard Fryer, oh. Oh. Al Pacino, James Caan. Mm. <laughs> I mean, already mm -hmm. this is a really mix of, Mm -hmm. They didn't know what they were trying to land on. I think it's, it's like they were—they were just like starfishing. They were like, yes, "Let's yes, who yes, can yes. we get? Who can we get? And we'll make that character that guy." Oh, like none maybe. of those are yeah. even a similar performance you're ever going to get out of those. And reportedly, Harrison Ford was offered the role but turned it down. Um, uh, anyway, as production rolled on, Stallone began to take issue with the comedic elements in the movie, which is kind of <laughs> surprising because you know he ultimately would star in more comedic action films like Tango and Cash in the the, the movie he was yeah. tricked into doing Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Mm -hmm. Right, um, <laughs> the trend was tricked, yeah. Right, remember that? Uh, so to, I to, to address his concerns, Sly took it upon himself to rewrite the script. Now, he was hired oh. as an actor, but he's, you know, he's Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> which included renaming the lead character Axel Cobretti. Oh, no. Um, no. Yeah. Cobretti. No, no, no. Now, eventually his, his script's deemed either too costly, his, his, his script is deemed too costly, and he mm. was fired uh, or he quit, depending on uh, which account you read. Um, two days later, separation. the film's producers convinced then, then up and coming uh, comedian turned actor Eddie Murphy to replace him, uh -huh. which prompted more rewrites. Of course, Beverly Hills Cops the, winds up being the top grossing film of the year, the best year for movies, 1984. Mm -hmm. And it spawned one sequel and another piece of media that's legally a film. And... <laughs> We've got what's canonically another probably another one coming. Yeah. Right. Now, right. The, and the name Alex, Axel Colbretti may sound familiar to because Stallone's rewrites were not for naught. They became the basis of his 1986 film, Cobra. Cobra. Oh. Made sense. Okay. I, so, I smelled yeah. it coming. So we know it's a very good, <laughs> we know what that would have been if had they gone with him because there you go. There he is. Yeah. Hey, yeah. while it's difficult to imagine Star Wars as anything other than the giant uh, money-making uh, machine that it is now and having such mm -hmm. a, a, you know, sort of a mythical place in pop culture. Mm -hmm. If you recall the story of Star Wars, I think you've even learned this in B, B, W. Oh, yeah, Cat's got a Star Wars oh. shirt on right now. In B, V, Dub, Dub's uh, Star Wars documentary. Um, right. <laughs> so, uh, many Hollywood studios passed on George Lucas's uh, ambitious space opera before 20th Century Fox agreed to make it. Um, mm -hmm. yep. And as difficult as it was to secure financial uh, backing, it was also challenging to cast the three lead roles. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, ultimately, then unknowns uh, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher were cast, but the role of Han Solo continued to pro uh, provide a challenge. Uh, mm -hmm. And while then unknown Harrison Ford would ultimately be cast, it was not he was not Lucas's first choice. Instead, he offered it to the talented actor with a then meteoric rise, Al Pacino. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, I'm flying over here. <laughs> oh no, wait, wrong guy. No, wrong actor. I said the wrong wait, thing, wait, wait, right? No, wait, why? Wait. What, what was it supposed? What were you supposed to be? No, wait, no. The never uh -oh. tell me the odds. <laughs> That's the 
one. No, yeah. No, I was doing the wrong actor. She got a oh, great said? asteroid <laughs> field. Who says I'm walking kid? over here? It's it's um man. Who's the, the one? Who no? Who did I mix him up with? I'm walking know. over here. Oh oh oh! Midnight who? Cowboy, John Voight. Oh, it's but it's, not, it's really uh, it's really Dustin Hoffman's role. He plays the uh, Riz, Ratso oh, that's right. Rizzo. That's, yeah, I was mixing up my actors. I yeah. thought I, worked, I thought you were just doing Al Pacino flying the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, I'm I flying so too. away. Yeah, it worked <laughs> fine. It almost worked. I thought it worked. Good. Your, your Pacino but I was, was fine. Yeah. Oh, my Pacino. I'm gonna cut all wow. this out and just leave Cat being brilliant earlier. Hey, we're doing a Kessel Run over here. <laughs> anyway, fresh off uh, the Godfather. <laughs> which was uh, directed by Lucas's good friend, Francis Ford Coppola, and Serpico, and Dog Day Afternoon. Dog Day Afternoon. Pacino was being courted for a number of different roles. In, in 2014, Pacino told MTV that, quote, it was that time in my career where I was offered everything. They didn't care if I was right or wrong for the role, if I could act or not act. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, but after reading the script for the, mm. the first Star Wars film, uh, Pacino turned down the role. In his 2013 mm. stage show, An Evening with Al Pacino, Pacino explained that the role of Han Solo was, quote, mine for the taking, but I didn't understand the script. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, he yeah. joked mm -hmm. about missing his chance to be part of the massive uh, Star Wars uh, franchise and choosing modest films instead, saying, quote, I gave Harrison Ford his career. He owes me big. I'm going to have him pay me back. I'm going to have him build me a house, end quote. Oh. He's a carpenter. Perfect. Of course, yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah, Ford, yeah. Uh, known at the time, uh, was... Uh, Though he had appeared in small roles in Lucas's uh, American Graffiti and Coppola's The Conversation. He plays like a hitman uh -huh. or a bad guy in The Conversation. Mm -hmm. I don't think he even has a mm -hmm. line. Uh, but the famous story at the time was that he was mostly known as a professional carpenter. You know, speaking of Harrison Ford, yeah. I just happened to watch an interview, an old interview, uh, just before Blade Runner came out when uh, Harrison Ford was on Letterman. In this whole, you know, casting discussion that we're having. Mm, yeah. And Letterman asked him about, hey, you worked with him in uh, what, uh, uh, what American Graffiti or something? He was in that, right? The first time he worked with Lucas. Right. Oh, um, yeah. And then he was surprised that he got the role in Star Wars because Lucas doesn't like mm -hmm. to reuse actors. And he was mm -hmm. incredibly stunned to end up being called back for Indiana Jones because for the same reason. Uh -huh. and, and, and Ford says basically... I'm pretty sure they, after they rejected every other working actor between the ages of seven and 35, then they called me. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Which is effectively, yeah. He said, yes. basically, he was the well, last person. Everyone else had been rejected. And then they turned around. How about Harrison Ford? Yes. Well, you know, John, it's 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 perfect That's that amazing. you mention that. Because, mm -hmm. yes, John, and some of what he said there is, you know, he's joking somewhat. But some of it is true. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah. uh, look, folks mm -hmm. know that... Harrison Ford wasn't Lucas's uh, first choice. In fact, they right. probably know the actor that almost was almost Indiana Jones. But um, oh. other actors were considered as well, including Timothy Matheson, John Shea, Nick Mancuso, who went on to play uh, Ray in the Stingray show in the 80s. And I don't Nick, know any of these. And Nick Nolte. Uh, oh. Some more unlikely candidates that were considered included Bill Murray, who uh, Tim Burton <laughs> also uh, considered to play Batman. <laughs> you recall what? that. Uh, Chevy no. Chase and Steve Martin, who oh, allegedly turned down the role for Pennies from Heaven. Mm -hmm. um, according to Movie Phone, one of the more uh -huh. interesting choices was Jack Nicholson. Wait, hmm. what role are we talking about here? <laughs> Indiana Jones. Raiders <laughs> yeah, of the Lost Ark. All Star. of them? No, all wait, of them I, were yeah. considered for Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. I heard it got really close to Tom Selleck That's right. before it ended up going to Harrison Ford, though. That's true. Which, so, which I could see a Tom Selleck Indiana Jones. Yes. Yeah, before I, before it got to Tom Selleck, they, all these other folks were considered as well. That's right. 
I could see Tom Selleck more than any right. any, any of the others. others any of the others. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Yeah. You're right, John. Lucas and Spielberg we, eventually settled on Tom Selleck, who gave an impressive screen test with Sean Young playing the Marion, which Raven I've seen. Part. You can watch that on YouTube. It is yeah, it's out there, yeah. and they are fantastic. Uh, mm -hmm. But unfortunately, CBS, uh, as John's little uh, musical uh, homage uh, or, or clue tells us, oh. CBS had him under contract for Magnum P.I. It would not, Magnum. unlike the Michael J. Fox situation, which came mm -hmm. later in the 80s, they would not make allowances for him to also play Indiana Jones. We, we now call that the Remington Steel Paradox. Oh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I almost put that one on the list, too. I was so yeah. itching to have Pierce Brosnan as Bond. I was so de devastated when he didn't <laughs> get it originally. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. like everyone mm -hmm. on the planet knew he was the perfect next Bond. Yeah. And yet he was tied up, right? Yeah. But yeah, you can do it. Yeah, uh, yeah. But you know, the reason why it might be easy for you to envision Selleck as, in the role as well is because he did get a chance to play a similar role in High Road to China. Mm. Nope. <laughs> uh, and then in the That's final season it. of Magnum P.I., Selleck <laughs> got to spoof Raiders in an episode called Legend of the Lost Art. Um, anyway, with production starting in March of 1980, Spielberg suggested Ford. This happened apparent. This apparently happened after he and Kathleen Kennedy watched The Empire Strikes Back. They came out agreeing Ford is Indiana Jones, but Lucas, mm -hmm. like uh, John uh, had mentioned earlier, resisted, saying that he didn't want Ford to become his Robert De Niro in much the way that De Niro mm -hmm. was uh, the muse for Martin Scorsese. Uh, oh. But Spielberg assured him actors play hundreds of parts, and Ford could comfortably play both Han Solo and Indiana Jones. Within days, Ford was offered the part, but he didn't make it easy for them because he knew he wasn't their first choice. Oh my <laughs> he discovered he lost out the role of Tom Selleck after reading an article in Variety. Oh, oh he read about it? So when they came a-knocking, he played on a door that he built probably with his own hands. When they probably. came a-knocking, <laughs> right. Ford played hardball. Ne oh. He negotiated seven net points as his fee. So he's probably, you know, a billionaire, certainly a multi-hundred millionaire. Just from that alone, it's got to be, right? I, mean, I would think. I don't wow. know. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> anyway, but he also rewrote Indiana Jones's dialogue to make him more wisecracking and mm. worked with Good. Lawrence Kasdan to make him distinct from Han Solo. That's Good, yeah. 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 Apparently they went over every line together to make sure that there wasn't any uh, similarities to the uh, his uh, mm -hmm. swashbuckling space adventurer. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Mm -hmm. Anyway, mm -hmm. finally, you know, speaking of Sean Young's audition as uh, Marion Ravenwood, uh, I <laughs> wanted to tell you a story about Sean Young. In 1989, look, Batman came out really... Uh, yeah. Folks still point to it as sort of one of the first steps towards the you know the overtaking of hollywood that we've had with this superhero films um it made 411 million dollars worldwide about 872 when adjusted adjusted for inflation mm -hmm. um it shook an unsuspecting film industry to its core however for one actress sean young it represents a point in which misfortune pulled her away from a prospective mainstream breakthrough Young mm. was initially cast to play Vicki Vale opposite the Caped Crusader. Uh, so director really? Tim Burton's uh, choice of Young was a good one because if you recall, or maybe even you know, looking back at these stories, folks were concerned about Tim Burton making Batman. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Not the mm-hmm. least of which the two films he was well known for before that were Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice. <laughs> right. Uh, and speaking of Beetlejuice, the next mistake he made, according to fans and critics, was casting Beetlejuice as Batman. We had seen Michael Keaton as Mr. Mom and a number of wacky characters throughout the 1980s. No one pictured him as the square jawed vigilante. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So having Sean yep. Young, who was, uh, was an established, serious uh, actress at the, by, by this time, having been mm-hmm. in uh, a number of films, including uh, Dune and Blade Runner, mm-hmm. No Way Out. She was in Wall Street. Anyway, she was you know, uh-huh. sort of a buffer against this criticism. But her time in the film was short-lived because during production, one version of the script had this sort of a equestrial, equestrial, equestrian. Um, <laughs> let's just say horses. One version like of the word. film had a lot of horses in it. Yeah, uh, And so they had this scene that uh, was initially designed to, uh, two things. They had a scene, an initial sequence that was going to be the first sort of date or first flirting between Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne and Vicki Vale. And they were both going to be on horseback, which was setting uh, up a later action scene in the film that would see Bruce Wayne being chased, chasing after the Joker who had kidnapped Vicky Vale, taking, taking a, a policeman's horse to use it in the chase. Okay. So Young, who had been in London for four weeks of read-throughs and rehearsals, was practicing her horse riding skills when she was mm-hmm. thrown off and sustained a fractured arm. Ooh. Oh, oh. yikes. With the cameras Dang. set to roll within a week, producer John Peters mm. uh, suggested that uh, the incapacitated Young be replaced with Kim mm-hmm. Basinger. Mm-hmm. In, in March of 2021, Young told the Daily Beast, quote, I broke my arm. They did spring the horse riding thing on me and I fell and had an accident. Could they have kept me on the show and shot around my arm? They probably could have. I think Mm. John Peters had this hard on for Kim Basinger and he saw an opportunity to exit me and he did. That's the saddest casting story so far. Yeah. I'm going to end on that one too. Right. right? She's going to reorder these in post. Um, The horse riding scene in in question and the, the chasing that it was set to, it was intended to set up, both got cut from the script. Were never shot. <laughs> Unnecessary. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. What a what a wasted injury. <laughs> With regards to the replacement, I, Sean Sean Young. I don't know. I just again, like I sound like a creep when I start talking about things. You guys, you gotta balance me out somehow. I feel like maybe I'm just being too honest about these things. I think when I, when, look, Sean Young, I think I fell in love with her. You know, probably literally uh-huh. in a sense as a young person, seeing Blade Runner. Sure, okay. she was an android. Yeah, yeah. We could make it work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's just something so, to me, alluring and charming and sweet and beautiful about her and all uh-huh. of her roles that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and dynamic in a way that Kim Basinger, I mean, I never found nothing against her, I suppose, but I never really found her to be all that, to come off the screen in the way that Sean Young does. Does okay. that make sense? I, I can't. I can't say, you know, I can't compare them enough, really. You know, like, I, I don't feel like I'm as familiar yeah, with Yeah, I know. Just leave me being the myself, creep again. I, I get it. No, I'm not. You do you. John's going to blah, blah, blah through this. You know that. All right, whatever. I'm going to stop talking about my feelings for, for uh, fictional women. That's good. Um, anyway. Um, your, your feelings are valid. Young uh, <laughs> believes losing the part affected her future as an actor. In the 2005 DVD documentary Shadows of the Bat, the cinematic saga of the Dark Knight, Young said, quote, wow, I wish I'd been able to hang on to that horse. I wish I'd been mm. able to do that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't realize I said that was a way to make it funny. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's like... Th- 
she's distilling her injury down as being the reason that she was shown the door. I wish yeah. she could hung on to that horse. Like that would have been the thing. Sounds yeah. like they wanted her gone anyway. She might've been gone. Mm. Anyway, well, so. I think John Peters mm. was one of those creepy me too guys that got outed. Oh, Oh, oh really? I'm trying to okay. think. I think it was a John Peters who doing that creepy stuff with Sydney Morgan, who had, uh, you know, essentially was trying to force her to be naked in those photo shoots. And then she mm. ultimately, you know, way more about this than I do. Will. <laughs> Right, right. Well, Sydney Morgan told us this story, I think maybe for the first time uh, two, two Ooh, years really? ago. Anyway, yeah. um, I, I don't know about, I'm not much confident about John Peters. Don't sue me. Alleged, allegedly. Okay. Uh, right. so I wish I'd been able to do that because the, then the turning point in my particular career, I would have been able to stay on that film. I would have been in a big box office hit. I would have mm -hmm. been able to go on to other big box office hits. Yeah, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Now, if you Again. recall, the saga of yeah. uh, Young and Batman continued in the public sphere albeit without the horses, when the sequel that would eventually become 1992's Batman Returns cast Michelle Pfeiffer as the mm -hmm. Selena Kyle Catwoman role, Young mm -hmm. felt slighted for not having been even given the chance to audition for the part. Oh, and she launched yeah. a very public campaign for the role, which culminated in a 1991 appearance on the Joan Rivers show in which she shows up mm -hmm. in a Catwoman costume and sort of acts like Catwoman before explaining wow. how Tim Burton was not taking her calls, was refusing to see her and, uh, huh. and she was told by her agent that uh, Burton was hiring a bodyguard because he was scared that she was a dangerous person. Okay, what? Sean Young, listen. Just uh -oh. because you were once cast in mm -hmm. a Batman film <laughs> yeah. does not mean you automatically get a seat at the table for every subsequent sequel. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She, she, did she feel entitled to get a shot at it now at that point because she got fired before? That, that well, I mean, she was cast before, so it is odd that they won't even talk to her anymore. Maybe they did. And they uh, said no, and she wouldn't take no for an answer. Well, that's not. But she says, well, clearly, um, well, of course not. <laughs> oh my God, you're a, you're a Sean Young truther, <laughs> or am I a Sean Young truther? I don't know. I don't, one or the other. But, I, it just sounds odd to go. I'm just so angry they didn't consider me for that role. You and a million other actresses that they didn't consider for the sure. role, just because yeah, you were yeah, cast yeah. as something else before, makes you think. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but they fired her for. Bum deal. And she would have been you know better what? as Catwoman too in that in Michelle fight. I also was not considered for Catwoman and mm. I didn't go on a show John, complaining. I would pay money to see you in that cat suit that she wears on Joan Rivers. $25. And I was wondering how you felt about Michelle Pfeiffer. She was, Will? she's fine. Look, <laughs> okay. again, Michelle Pfeiffer, very talented uh, actress, um, mm -hmm. beautiful woman. Can I say that? I don't know if I can say that anymore. I got to just stop giving up, saying things about, I got to stop observing things about people that have anything to do with looks. Um, I cut out last week episode of me saying something about Madonna's having a fake butt or something like that. And now I got to cut it out again. You um, did just offer to pay money to see me in a cat suit. So there's that too. I know this, oh, that's, this is confusing times to be a, to be a man or be a person, be a human. It's confusing times. You're not helping my body issues. Uh, Anyway, but you know, John, John, I wonder if your view of Sean Young is tainted by the fact that ultimately she got blacklisted in Hollywood as being a difficult person. And I'm going to oh, say, she did? yes, and I'm going to say wow. wrongly so. Um, wow. You know, she got, she look, she she got more, she got roles, and she's been working certainly more recently. But um, mm -hmm. she, there's been many interviews with her recently where she was explaining, telling all the stories that happened to her with different, you know, male uh, mm. men in power try mm. to take advantage of her or, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, as a result uh, of not, uh, you know, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. She names names. And um, wow. it does seem like, I don't know. Uh, there, and, and I should say that the opposite's true too, in a sense. In a sense, the opposite's true. Or I should say this. 
And people mm-hmm. actually came to her defense too and said, no, this is nonsense. This, people are saying she's difficult. She's like the sweetest person to know. I've worked for, with mm-hmm. her, et cetera, and so on. In fact, yeah. it, after um, she appeared in, uh, you know, some of us, I'm trying to think what the film was, the last film she did in the 80s, I suppose. After getting fired from Batman, the next mm-hmm. big role, and she didn't do that role, but that's what, 89. The next big thing I could think of her appearing in is an Ace Ventura's uh, Pet Detective, you okay. know, in the 90s. <laughs> and the reason uh-huh. she got that role was she said that uh, Jim Carrey advocated for her, saying, no, I, I want it to be to her, because he knew from mm. folks that the, these stories were nonsense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but there was wow. a lot of people in Hollywood saying, do not hire her, don't work with her. I just feel that the truth probably lies somewhere in between those stories. It lies no. in between here, John. Read no. between the lines. <laughs> oh, no. I knew it. I knew it. You can try to hypnotize me again. You should do it this way instead, John. Maybe, yes. I, I would love to talk to her. Uh, I've, re- I've reached out to her a couple of times. All right. Hey, that's all I've got. It's been two hours. You guys are now free to go. I'm going to press the button that releases you from two the hours bondage. Pick, you you go. know what? Pick Just pick your best 12 and let's do those and let's wrap it up. The best 12. The best 12. <laughs> All right, hey, the that's the show. 12. And our show is brought to you every mm-hmm. week. Thanks yeah. in part to our early adopters like Kathy Burke, Rick Parker, and Karen Flieger. Mm. And thank you especially to our secret of our success level Patreon supporters like John Henderson, yep. Greg Coletta, Marcus Taylor, and oh. Tony Great. Great. And to become a Patreon supporter, visit us at 1980snow.com slash support. There's a link there. You could do that. Or go to patreon.com slash 1980snow. Oh, I was worried somebody was going to be yelling at you, Will, because you said something. Oh, man. Um, what movie was it? Like, <laughs> it was in The Breakfast <laughs> Club that um, you said Judd Nelson's character wasn't attracted to Ali Sheedy, but wasn't Emilio. It was Emilio Estevez who became attracted to her, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let me just understand. We're having this conversation about a hypothetical person who never actually corrected me. You're using someone else as a proxy to correct me. Right. She's surprised you weren't correct. Cat, yeah. I was worried that someone was going to write in and say how horrible you are on the show because you're always correcting me. I mean, they didn't write in, but I was worried about it. Oh, no. It. Oh, no. <laughs> It, it's kind of like how Kat tells you all the ways she was going to prepare for the show and yes. then chose not to. I was now worried she, someone was going to write in about that. Sharing with you emails that someone could have written but didn't. I was worried about that. But <laughs> Instead of being passive aggressive, be active aggressive, Kat. Come on. Tell me I suck. <laughs> I'm not saying this, but someone could yeah. have said. <laughs> Look, I know somebody was yelling at you. I mean no offense when I say this, but you're an asshole. Yeah. No offense. No offense. Yeah. Hoo-ah. I'm flying here. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Kat. Uh, so, hey, yeah, there's that. I don't know what that was. You're but welcome. We will... <laughs> That's right. our show, everyone. Whatever that was, I don't know how it got edited. <laughs> Maybe there was things in there. Hey, we will talk mm. to you next time on 1980s Now. Until next time. <laughs> Bye-bye. This podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness.